listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since everybody to another episode of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I'm your host, Samurai. Across the board from me is my good pal, Big Willie. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Yes, there we go. From Christmas headquarters in the North Pole. A.K.A. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. So here we are back for another week uh, covering... uh, well, I'll just go ahead and go into what we're covering here. We're covering Thirst from 2009, Park Chan-wook. We're both Park Chan-wook fans, so uh, we, I wanted to cover this because I wanted to hear Large Williams' thoughts on it. I'd seen it a couple weeks back, so I decided to select it for the show. And also play Misty for me, which I believe is from, again, once again, didn't write down the date. But hey, who, well, I mean, I, I just don't do that kind of thing, evidently. <laughs> 1971. I was going to guess 70, so I would have been close. You would have been. I would have been close. I would have been... Uh, I wanted to make sure I got it in there. Talk about uh, we'll talk about Clint Eastwood's hair a little later because it was out- <laughs> outstanding and play misty for me. Uh, so that's what we're covering this week. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump into. Is there anything we need to really mention here at the top? I don't think there is. I, I do want to mention that uh, a couple weird things happened. Uh, Dan O'Bannon passed away. Uh, uh, he of uh, Return of the Living Dead fame, one of your favorite, if not your favorite, horror film of all time. Yeah, it is my favorite. Uh, I think TCM is the best horror film potentially ever, but Return is my favorite, and I was shocked to see that. Um, it's, it's very sad. He wasn't that old, wasn't he? About sixty or so? Uh, Sixty-three, I think. I think. Was Jeez. He. So, I think he'd been ill for a while. But uh, yeah, Dan O'Bannon uh, also he's quite attached to John Carpenter. He was in uh, he was in Dark Star with the uh, Carpenter. So, and I think he was also attached to Walter Hill. Uh, yeah, I, possibly yes. I mean, there's a lot of things. He, he gave a lot to cinema and stuff, so it's sad to him go. And also, just weirdly, uh, the other day I saw that Brittany Murphy passed away just the other day when I was just looking at the internet. So that was a weird one. came out of nowhere. I don't really want to comment too much on that, but that just came out of nowhere. It did, and I was saddened because Brittany Murphy to me was always like that girl in the classroom that you never hook up with, but you always have a crush on. Yeah. Um, she was never my favorite, but I always was very uh, sweet on her. Um, I loved her in Sin City. Uh and I really liked her in a very sad and now a really tragic role. Now that I look at it, the dead girl uh, that she did back in 06. It was an independent film that didn't really get seen as much as it should have. Um, really sad. I mean, you know, uh, I think, it, it, you know, you can put two and two together very easily in terms of what caused her death. Uh, you know, but I don't want to speculate. Um, <laughs> it's just very sad. Very young. I mean, 32. God, it's such a shame. Yes, it is. <clears throat> Whoa. I got choked up there. <laughs> <laughs> Getting verklempt? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> man. <clears throat> man, that came out of nowhere. I also want to mention that the contest is closed. I can barely talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely talk. The uh, contest is closed for the uh, listener content. Gregory Joseph did win that uh, that contest. So I want to mention that now so nobody will keep you know, sending emails and stuff. Don't want anybody to kind of get uh, perplexed on that as to why they're not getting any answer. We, we're not going to cover the films to the new year, but uh, just let everybody know that uh, Gregory Joseph, that the, I'm, I'm guessing that's what he wants to go by because that's his Twitter, so that's what we'll go by. 
he's the one that uh, won the contest. So we'll be doing a couple selections of his in about a week's time from now, or about two weeks from now, so I should say. So, um, other than that, that's all I really got. Uh, kind of want to see what you've been watching, what you've been up to. So let's go ahead and go into that. Okay, so I haven't. I've sort of I haven't had time to watch as many classics as I'd like. I still. I just told you off the air. This week it's going to be the Bicycle Thief. Tokyo Story and the Maltese Falcon, and I think I'll only have Spartacus left to watch. Hopefully, it'll get to me soon. I don't know if it's going to, unfortunately. But um, this week, I watched four pretty interesting films. Uh, actually, all very quality, except for one of them. I watched Moon, which you know was one of my most anticipated films for the year. I'm a big mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell fan, and you know this sort of harkening back to '70s sci-fi um, was very appealing to me. So I watched it and. I liked the film, I think, a little better than you did. Um, mm-hmm. You said it was more about the perform; it was a better performance than a film. But my argument would be, Sammy, that the film is about the performance. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, to some degree. Yeah. You know, uh, fantastic performance by Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I watched Pretty Poison with Anthony Perkins and Tuesday Weld. Wow, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it was on TCM Underground a few weeks back, and I'd always meant to see it. Um, Tuesday was, you know, pretty, and Perkins is Perkins. He can really bring it sometimes. And uh, I was scared there for a second. You said Tuesday was pretty, and then you said Perkins is, and I heard the P, and I was like, he's not surely not going to say Perkins is pretty. <laughs> Perkins, is, well, Perkins fancied himself pretty, I think, uh, and doing a little research into his private life. But, <laughs> well, there you go. Hey. <laughs> um, but hey, that aside, uh, you know, interesting film. Um, I dug it. It was good. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Soy Cheng's Accident, which was the only film from TIFF we didn't get a chance to see. And I think I told you this film to me is sort of uh, a combination of um, Final Destination, Coppola's The Conversation, and a very pacey Melville film. Mm-hmm. So, well, not very pacey, but pacier than a Melville film. Uh, I really dug it. Uh, Louis Koo, I don't think, has ever been better. Uh, it's got our boy Lam Suet uh, in a supporting role. Nice. Uh, good stuff. Um, and then I watched The Tournament. With Ving Rhames, Ian Somerhalder. Um, oh yeah, this 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 little uh, movie. I've heard about this thing. Is this any good? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a rental at best. I don't know. I'd give it like a five. Uh, you know, it's it's okay. It just there's there's action and stuff in there, and it's reason. There's some splatter and stuff, but I don't know. It just feels all very seen it before, so it wasn't as enjoyable as I'd like it to have been. Kind of reeks of a Cuba Gooding Jr. movie without Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, <laughs> I like it's, it's, although it is nice to see Ving Rhames play a heavy because he is one of my favorite heavies. Uh, yeah, true. He is built and made to play heavies. There's no doubt about that. Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, interesting, interesting choices there. Really didn't expect Pretty Poison out of all those. That was that was a surprise. So uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, so what I watched, I watched uh, Orphan. I finally saw Orphan. Uh, I liked Orphan. It was it was good. It was uh, it's over long. Yes, that's its one weakness. Or it's one real weakness. Uh, there was some other little things here and there, but I, I liked it. Uh, you know, it's pretty bizarre. It gets uncomfortable, which was good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's good that it did that because uh, a lot of these films would have played it safe. But I liked that it got uncomfortable and and got a little weird. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty good film. Uh, it's not bad at all. Uh, perfectly fine horror film for this modern age. And, and, and me, not a fan of the scary child genre, uh, was entertained by it. So that tells you everything. So it's pretty solid. Same here. Um, I watched Taken. Or I should say maybe I rewatched Taken. I, it was on while I was doing some stuff. So I watched it again. Still like that film. It's nothing new. doesn't rewrite the book. doesn't rewrite anything. But it's just uh, really nice, nicely paced and just kind of fun. 
and I like it. And of course, you know, I love watching people get revenge or go out and get something. I love people that are just badass and they know they're badass. So. <laughs> oh yeah, and I still got to see that man. I, I lent my my uh, copy to someone and I haven't gotten it back yet. So yeah. it's 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 pretty it's pretty solid. I mean, you're, you're not going to see a reinvention of the wheel, but uh, I think you'll be entertained to say the least. Good. I watched. Uh, I saw all Paranormal Activity. Um. Yeah, my silence should probably say a lot. I, I just really didn't. Uh, it just didn't frighten me that much, and didn't scare me, and all these other things. And I, I think I'll be honest with you. I think it was the hype that uh, ruined it for me. Uh, I don't think the film's a bad film. As far as these found footage and made films go, it's actually pretty solid. Uh, the film's well put together and everything. Uh, I certainly don't think it's the scariest film I've ever seen, but I think that's for. Uh, I think that's going to be an individual choice uh, for some people. Some people not. I mean, I, I thought Blair Witch was scary, and a lot of people I know don't think Blair Witch is scary. So uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'd be interested to see what you think whenever you see it. So I'm going to see it sooner rather than later. So I'll be. I'm very interested to see it. I've heard very mixed things from people I trust. So yes, yes, and I had a mixed reaction to it. So. I watched uh, Drag Me to Hell, which was fun, but uh, it was not great. I mean, I, I, uh, nobody knows how to – I mean, I have to admit that I liked watching Sam Raimi get back to some of his camera tricks and kind of his fun stuff. Uh, I wish it would have been more of a, a hard horror film. I mean, I think with the low budget and stuff, he could have really went hardcore with it, and it wouldn't have hurt him at all. I think he would have made his money back and whatnot. But it's really nice to see that he still has uh, some of his uh, some of the stuff that he brought to the horror genre a long time ago. He still has some of it, kind of the goofiness and kind of the fast moving weirdness <laughs> that he that he brought to action uh, or to horror films a long time ago. It's good to see that that's still there because I was afraid after ten years of Spider Man movies that maybe he had lost his touch. But he still got his touch. But the film's not not fantastic. It's 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 good. It's solid. Don't get me wrong. But I just didn't. It's not going to be in my top ten of the year. It's not that good. I know I saw Tarantino had it at number two, but it's not it's not that good to me. Um, I watched uh, one that uh, might come up again when we do our year-end show. I don't know yet, but I really, really fucking liked it. And it was called Carriers. I think I talked to you a little bit about this. Yeah, one that I also wanted to see, Chris Pine, Piper Parable. I'm really glad you liked it. That's uh, encouraging to me. This is really interesting. This is uh, this one screams avoid avoidance. It's got uh, the kind of WB-type good-looking cast. It's rated PG-13. Uh it just screams stay away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I really liked everywhere this film went. And it went, every time I thought it was going to go somewhere, it seemed to go in the other direction. So I'm going to advise everybody out there who hasn't seen it to check it out. Because uh, I think this film is really, really fucking good. And if it doesn't make my top ten of the year, it will definitely be an honorable mention. I can tell you that right now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really good. And uh, it's a shame this movie didn't get more... Uh, more buzz and reaction. I just think, you know, it, it kind of got overlooked by everything. But this film's really good, man. I think it was really good. And I can't wait for you to see it because I would really like to talk about it. So we'll see what happens. And last but certainly not least, uh, I saw Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't, I don't want to I don't want to make it out like I absolutely hated Avatar. I didn't like it. I was bored. I will say that. I think I called William and said, uh, you know, oh, I was just so bored. Avoid it. Blah, blah, blah. But. Uh, you know, it's it's very average. That's the real problem with the movie for me. It's just very average. It's probably like a 5, maybe a 4.5, something like that. It's just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I knew he couldn't, Cameron couldn't come around with a real super original story when you spend that much money on a movie and, and whatnot and stuff. And the 3D was fantastic, and the effects looked great. But after a while, and it didn't take very long, the 
planet that they were on or the moon they were on, it just all kind of ran together. It's like so much uh, runny paint, and I just I just started to get irritated and and uncomfortable and bored and uh, and so. I mean, I just don't think it's the second coming of Christ like some people thought it was going to be, and uh, I just don't I, I don't understand uh, that. But uh, you know, it is what it is. I think some people are going to like it. Don't get me wrong. I know Jay from our first time caller. I know he liked it. Uh, he is a Cameron fan, though. Let me add that. I think if you're a Cameron fan, a little bit like if you really, really like him, I think you might like it more. But I'm not so sure. So I'm, I'm looking for more opinions from other people on it and stuff. People who like sci-fi a lot, like Chris from outside the cinema. I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. You know what I mean? Somebody, uh, yes. Somebody who really, really likes sci-fi a lot, and uh, I'd be interested to say. There's a lot of Cameron-esque uh, type moments in there. A lot of the you know nice machinery that he likes to shoot and create. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Stuff that he does really well. But I think you know that that going from live action to CGI thing, going back and forth, it really just took me out of the film. And I, I'll be honest with you, Will, man, I just think uh, you know overhyped and beautiful CGI. I think maybe I'm an old man, but it just it doesn't do anything for me. It really just leaves me flat. So I, I, that's, that's all. That's all I can really add. That's kind of in line with what I. I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting it to be an eight. I was expecting anywhere between five and seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I was hoping. <clears throat> man, I got a hard time in my throat this morning. I was having a. I was hoping it would somewhere be somewhere between a uh, six and an eight for me. That's what I was hoping for. But uh, yeah, I was just I was tremendously bored. So I mean, I just felt like it was nothing I hadn't seen before. Uh, Jay had said that you know when he went in, he you know he said on the Twitter that you know he just turned his mind off and let let uh, Cameron take him into his world. I can agree with that to a point, except that I think his world. I don't. I don't think there's anything original about Cameron's world. I think uh, it just looks like a bunch of stuff cribbed off other sci-fi movies to me. So nothing real original in there. So but his fascination with the color blue is still alive and well. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of Michael Mann. Him and Michael Mann, the blue filters, man. For Christ's fucking sake. No kidding. Uh, but that's about it. Uh, don't want to end on a bad note. I mean, I think some people are going to like Avatar. I'm, not gonna, I'm certainly not going to tell people who love movies to not go see it. I mean, if you love movies and if you love Cameron, you should definitely maybe check it out. But uh, I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think seeing If you love 3D, that's fantastic, and you want to see it that way. The 3D is really good. But uh, I don't really think you need to see it that way. I don't think it really adds anything to the movie. I'm still not convinced that 3D is the savior of cinema. No, good, good film is the savior of cinema. Yes. More again, of an intersection of art and commerce is yeah, the savior. Again, I think uh, Glorious Bastards cost uh, uh, about $60 million to make. And this thing cost about well, roughly about $300 million to make. So one-fifth of the cost. And uh, Glorious Bastards was 100% more entertaining. So there you go. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, there I've pissed on Cameron evidently enough. And he'll probably call me and say, look here, bastard. You're never going down to my sub with me. <laughs> but uh, no anyway hopefully Jay won't get too upset I know he loves his Cameron <laughs> that he does he'll call me and blast me but uh, you know it is what it is alright uh, enough I, I don't know why I'm apologizing I didn't fucking like the movie simple as that <laughs> deal with it y'all yeah deal with it alright so I think that's it I think we'll uh, go to break and come back and talk about some uh, thirsty thirstiness with uh, Park Chan Wook does that sound good Sounds good. All right, we'll be back right after this. Popsyndicate.com. Popsyndicate.com. Reviews of all the hottest movies, music, authors, comics, books, and more. Popsyndicate.com. 
home of the Pop Syndicate message boards and the best media-related podcasts and internet radio in the world. Check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com. Popsyndicate.com. Christmas is children who just can't go to sleep Christmas is memories the kind you always keep Deck the halls and give a cheer For all the things that Christmas is each year Christmas is carols to warm you in the snow Christmas is bedtime when no one wants to go We are back from break and the great uh, Lou Rawls there. So Yes. Now that's a silky singing voice, my friend. That is. It's like like uh like milk. <laughs> so silky smooth. Okay, so we're gonna cover uh Park Chan Wook's Thirst from two thousand nine. I'll give a brief plot synopsis here. Uh a failed medical experiment turns a man of faith into a vampire. Really that's about as basic as it gets. So uh you and me both are big fans of Mr. Uh, Chanwook Park or Park Chanwook. Uh, I always get confused with Korean uh, names because uh, sometimes you say them reverse and sometimes you say them the other way. I guess it depends on where you're at because I think in Korea he's known as Park Chanwook, right? That's correct because they use last name first. Yes, and then here he's known as Chanwook Park because it's first name last. <laughs> right. So yeah, there you go. But uh, we love him either way. So uh, I'm gonna kick it over to you. I've been wanting to hear your thoughts on this for a long time, so I thought we'd do it on the show. So let's, let's hear it. Well, I'm glad we did. Um, if for no other reason, then I'll make a very bold statement, in my opinion, uh, and for my cinematic tastes and my cinematic dollar, I don't think there's more than a handful of filmmakers working today that are better than Park Chan-wook. Um, I've seen almost everything he's done, with a few exceptions uh, pre-2000 that are a little more difficult to track down, but... Um, the Vengeance trilogy really, to me, is, is a high watermark for any director. Uh, you know, even something like I'm a Cyborg, as, as much as it's flawed, it's interesting. So I was really um, very, very, very excited for this film, as much as I'm not a big vampire person. Uh-huh. Um, I think when you get Song Kang-ho, Shin Ha-kyun, and uh, Park Chan-wook together, um, you're in good hands for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, so, yeah, that's that. Uh, I want to commend Focus International. Well, maybe not commend them. Maybe commend Park Chan-wook. Because them picking this film up and this having a North American release and probably being one or two copies in blockbusters around North America shows how far Korean film has come. Yes, this is true. Uh, you know, he's really paved the way for directors like Bong Joon-ho and Kim Ji-woon and others. I'm not going to get into who's better, who's worse. That's a matter of preference, but... You can't deny that when Old Boy hit and uh, Tarantino trumpeted its praises, the fanboys stood up and listened. Yes, yes. Um, 
you know, so it just it, it was a testament to how far he's come that it wasn't being released uh, through something else or someone else, Tartan or something. This is being really, although Tartan, rest in peace. But, you know, it was being released through a legitimate sort of higher end, higher profile art housey kind of uh, distributor. Um, <clears throat> this is interesting because Song Kang Ho, the principal actor in the film, who I always like to think of as sort of the Philip Seymour Hoffman of South Korea, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um, in stature and in ability. Uh-huh. Um, he is a fantastic actor who, interestingly, uh, two of the past films of his deal with religion in some capacity. Secret Sunshine, which is a smaller film of his that uh, came out right before The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, I think in 2006 or seven, uh, also deals with religion in some aspects. Um, and, you know, further to that, in, in the opening of the film we see what's become sort of on the headlines of newspapers if you're sort of following religion is the intersection of the realization of sort of science and religion together, which is becoming more prevalent. I remember reading an article not too long ago uh, that came straight from the Vatican. I can't remember what it was specifically dealing with, but uh, genetic manipulation or something to that effect anyway. So it's interesting how far they've come in 20, 30 years from, uh, you know, the denial of science. Right, right. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, early on in the film, we get a moment where um, Song Kang-ho's character is, uh, he's on this retreat, uh, just to take it a little step further. He goes on this retreat to Africa to um, uh, a volunteer. I can't, I'm not entirely clear, Sammy. Was he volunteering to help the people that got infected, or did he go there to for the experimental... I thought what I what I got from it was that he went there for the tran- uh, for a little bit of both, but mostly it seemed like me for the transfusion, the experimental transfusion. It seemed uh, obviously he's a man of God, uh, is a priest. Uh, this is Catholic, I believe. Uh, yeah, I know. I think I'm right there. Uh, it's always weird to see uh, Catholicism in other countries sometimes, outside of America yeah. and, and Europe. Maybe you know what I mean. It's always, oh, it, it really is. It always kind of striking to see it in uh, in like your Asian countries and whatnot. I don't know how prevalent it is over there, but it always seems kind of odd to me. Um, it's like it's like one of those things, you know. One of these things is not like the other type thing. You know what I mean? Kind of like how I felt yeah. when I watched the Good, the Bad, the Weird. You know, it's like you, know, you got these Korean guys running around with cowboy hats. It does seem kind of strange, you know, at first. No, you're <laughs> absolutely right, and I know that. In South Korea, um, living in Toronto, there's a lot of Koreans around. Um, I know there's a fair amount of Korean churches, so I do know that religion is strong. It's just like you said, not something we generally tend to associate with Eastern countries right. uh, from a Western perspective. Yes. So, you know, you're right. It is interesting uh, to see. Um, I, I guess I had thought maybe he was going there. He he was lamenting at the fact that he doesn't help people. So, yeah, I guess a bit of both. Um, yeah, I mean, because it's never really clear. It's never really clear if it's just to help people. I mean, it's, it didn't, I don't feel like there was ever a statement made that it was just to help people or to not have the experiment done on him or to, to take part in this experiment or, or something. I don't know. It was never really clear because uh, otherwise I don't think we'd be having this conversation because – I just never felt – maybe it was clear and I overlooked it, but I just never felt it was. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I didn't – neither one of us saw it, so maybe it wasn't clear. Um, uh, <clears throat> one of the things I love about – you know, actually a guy I always like to compare Park Chan-wook to, especially from a visual sense, and I think he's as skilled as this filmmaker, um, and that's David Fincher. Yeah, that's a, that's a good comparison. Uh, he's, got a little my, bit, he's got a little bit of Kubrick in him too, Mr. Wook does, Mr. Chan-wook yes. Park. <laughs> 
He absolutely does. But then again, Fincher has a little bit of Kubrick in him when you look at something like Zodiac. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, the way uh, the, the style that uh, Park Chan-wook uses, I think uh, his production design is very reminiscent of a lot of stuff that Fincher does, very meticulous. Uh, a lot of the detail in his production design, um, the patterns and textures of things, whether it's a certain colored tile uh, in a shower or the plywood in an apartment, uh, things always seem to be, nothing seems to be... Um, anything less than uh, very particularly designed specifically for what he had in mind. Yeah, there's a meticulousness to uh, a uh, Chanwick Park film. Um, I can't really put my finger on how to say it, but you're right. It seems like everything, and this again goes back to the Kubrick and the Fincher type thing, uh, it seems like every little detail is well thought out by him. Uh, Some of the stuff even in the background, some of your props, some of your... uh, yeah, the walls, some of the, uh, the even the cars, so to speak, or the outdoors in this film, uh, uh, some of the uh, outdoor scenes, the the street scenes, and everything. It seems like everything is very, very controlled, and uh, that's the way I felt when I watched Old Boy as well. I felt like uh, the set design and the location shooting was as important as the acting in the film for him. So uh, that's def- yeah, no. that's definitely where you get the Fincher comparison because you always feel like when you watch a Fincher movie that everything is as important as the actor, you know. So oh like, yeah. Absolutely, it is very visual. As much as they're not just visual, they, they're very strong visually. Um, you know, speaking of the visuals, there's a moment early on that I think Park Chan Wook shoots violence, whether it's small violence, meaning a nail falling off of a finger, um, or a large violence, uh, you know, death, dismemberment. He shoots it all uh, with equal sort of uh, skill in that either act is incredibly wince-inducing. There's a moment early on in the film when Park Chan-wook's character, Park Chan-wook, Song Kang-ho's character is sick, and he's playing the flute, and he starts to cough up blood, and it's coming through the holes of the flute, and it's just an awful moment. Um, yeah. You know, you and I are, are you know veterans, battle-hardened veterans, and that, for me, made me wince, and just kind of go, ooh, jeez. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, my, my initial reaction was, "Ooh, that's that's kind of gross." Uh, I don't know, maybe if it's because you know the flute is uh, not an instrument you associate with uh, blood, maybe or something, but it made me wince too. I mean, you would think it wouldn't it wouldn't bother you that much, but uh, you know, to hear him hack a cough and then the blood come out of this flute uh, visually, it's very it's very nice to look at. But I think maybe it's because you don't associate blood with the flute. I think that might be why that made me so uncomfortable. That's what I was thinking when I watched it. I thought. Well, you know, the flute's a nice, pretty instrument. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't uh, associate rivers of blood with the flute, typically. <laughs> no, but I think it, it comes back to another way to show the expelling of the blood without sort of the standard cough up. Yes. It's done in a more stylish sense. The flute yes. would be, enable it to, to come through multiple holes at once. Uh, and, that, and that's something that goes on in this film a lot. All the scenes with blood uh, in this film, uh, the vampirism and, and whatnot... Uh, all of them are slightly kind of, I don't know, they're kind of, in a weird way, kind of beautifully grotesque. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And uh, that's kind of like the beginning of it. And it seems like every scene after that where blood is involved, there's like this grotesquerie type feel to it, but also uh, some type of beauty. That's another thing that uh, Park does very well is he, he shoots violence uh uh, like an artist would shoot a like a shoot uh you know like a really like a bird on a limb or something like a photographer would shoot something really pretty i mean 
He shoots violence. Violence to him, it seems, is as important as uh, lovemaking, which we get some lovemaking in this film. Uh, and we got a lovemaking in Old Boy, too, as well. I uh, can't really talk too much about it, but, you know, it's there. For those of you who've seen it, you know what we're talking about. Uh, he shoots these things equally, and uh, that's one of the things I really like about him is that everything feels like it's all part of a cohesive story. He never really feels like he never really feels like like with a Michael Bay film or somebody like that. You get you know you got your action scene, and then you know that's what he does well, and then we go back to dialogue scenes. That's what he doesn't do well, right? With Chen Wook, though, you feel like everything he does, he does it very well, and his violence and in scenes and stuff to me is as important as his uh, scenes of dialogue or people sitting around a table playing Mahjong for example <laughs> there's a lot of that in this film yes <laughs> yeah and that's not to say this film's without flaw I'll get to some flaws but no you're right everything that he does he's so good at that it all seems sort of integral it's not he doesn't get exposed with either dialogue or violence or action or or emotional scenes none of that is bad everything is good um in terms of his ability to, to have it feel seamless in yes. terms of what he's trying to accomplish for the most part. Yes. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I, you know, I'm a pretty big aficionado of South Korean cinema. Um, not so much that I remember his name, of course, but uh, Evelyn's husband. Uh, I don't know if he looked familiar to you, but he was the guy that um, an old boy got his teeth pulled out. Uh. Oh, no, he wasn't familiar to me, but now he is. <laughs> yeah, he's done a lot. He pops up a lot. And that's one of the great things about South Korean cinema is that it's a smaller community. So, you know, you get a lot of those those guys popping up and everything, um, you know, because it's a smaller community of actors. Um, there's a great moment where Shin ha Kyun's character is, is pretty um, obnoxious. He's sort of this man child with this very foppish haircut. Uh, yes. Um, you know he's he's good in it, but you really don't like him. You hate him, and uh, you feel bad for Teju, his wife, who, who's more of an indentured servant uh, or sort of a Cinderella type. Almost, she, yeah, yeah she almost feels like a yeah, like Cinderella. That's that's a good example because she almost feels like a like a beautiful slave to this family. Oh yeah, they've taken her in as an orphan, and they don't let her forget it. Almost yes, yes. I mean, they they like bring it up every time they get an opportunity, and they really treat her. I mean, they really treat her badly. <laughs> badly very badly <laughs> yeah they do they're pretty vile about it and him not so much from malice but just that like you said he's this sort of stunted man boy who was always doted over by his mommy to a fault where yeah you know and he's, he's constantly sick and his nose is running and he's just you know yeah there's was, this really weird uh not weird in like a sexual way like an edible way or something like that but the mother-son relationship between them two is very it's it's so doting it's almost uncomfortable yeah, no, you're right. But the scene you're with right. the with the scene with the uh, the flatulence, for instance. Oh yeah, and she smells his ass. Uh, yeah, it's like what the fuck is that? And she's like, oh, it smells like that time you had gastro something. And yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Does, is that, mean, that, uh, that's something that you know. Now let's be honest. You have a child. Uh, when you when your child is young, yeah, you will occasionally you'll check. You know, you got to smell their diaper to see if they need to change your diaper and stuff like that. But if you do smell something odd, you'll think, huh. Maybe the baby's sick or something like that. That's something you would do to an infant. But this lady is still doing this to this 20-something-year-old man. Yeah. No, you're right. That, that's exactly it. And it just it's, – it's bizarre. But um, like you said, not in an Oedipal way. Um, I love to me, which was sort of maybe a nod to Hitchcock, um, when he's snoring and it's keeping Teju awake, um, she does sort of almost like this, this nod to Hitch uh, to Psycho 
Um, which is odd, actually, because now that I think about it, I think of uh, Play Misty for me as sort of a nod to Psycho as well. Yes. Um, that's interesting. But um, she almost has this simulating, simulated st- uh, stabbing in his mouth every time he open, opens and closes it and sort of that frantic kind of, you know, stabbing, stabbing kind of way, which... Uh, oh, man, that, that, you know, I don't know why, but that really bothered me. Well, I think it's because he was so helpless. He was, you know, you kind of think, oh, Jesus, this guy could be getting like the back of his head, you know, punctured out with like these pliers, these sharp pliers. Well, I also uh, think it's, you know, Park and his fascination with mouth violence. Yeah, he does like the mouth violence. (laughs) He does, though. Teeth and and tongues are not two of his favorite objects, obviously. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, you're right. That's a good point. I kept waiting for, you know, like like Fulci loved the, the eyeball violence. Which you know always makes people uncomfortable, makes me uncomfortable. I'm not a big fan of eye violence. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not a big fan. I'm certainly not a fan. I don't promote or advocate uh, violence against the ocular. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's a good point. But the mouth violence seems to be Wook's, uh, Chan Wook Park's thing, and yeah, I, I guess I kept thinking something. It's really a real, really well set up because I kept thinking something was going to happen there. And uh, it didn't matter that if it did or if it didn't, but uh, it just made me, it put me on edge. You know, I covered my mouth because I kept thinking, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, man. You're absolutely right. Um, I'm going to try and tear through here because i got a lot more notes. Um, okay. Uh, I love that he almost has sort of an insect-like flicking of the tongue when he gets the first lick of the blood. Yeah. Again, that's another, like, uh, disturbing. It's uh, almost animalistic. But, yeah, insect. I didn't really think of it that way. But, uh yeah, that, that that would be kind of appropriate. That's the way he does it. Very disturbing. Yeah. Um, there's a very, very sweet moment that will come back around at some point um, where we just see a shot of the feet of, of Teju's feet as she runs outside barefoot all the time. And we see these feet behind her. It's um, uh, Song Kang Ho's character. Um, and he lifts her up. And he steps out of his shoes and put her in his shoes so she's not walking barefoot. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very sweet moment to me. And it's it's a small moment that was done very well. But I have to say, uh, Song Kang Ho's priest character didn't strike me as a Crockett type to not wear socks in his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah well, you know, maybe, I, he has a, maybe he has a pet alligator somewhere, too. <laughs> what was the name of the alligator? Elvis? Wasn't it Elvis? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, something I wouldn't mind talking about a little bit. The, it, the, there's this interesting – now, the, the interesting thing about the love story in the film is, first of all, he's a priest. So we know he's not allowed uh, by the doctrine of Catholicism to actually participate in sexual intercourse. Uh, but it seems like after the vampirism comes around and everything else, it's like he can't help himself. Now, this also ties into the fact that vampirism is always kind of tied to sexuality in some way because it's a very sexual act to drink somebody's blood. We all, I think we all can agree on that. Yeah, you know, because I mean, biting on someone's neck—it's uh, very erotic. I mean, I'm—I'm uh, I'm a male, you're a male. Uh, there's a lot of males and females out there. We've all kissed and sucked on some necks in our lives. I hope, or or if you haven't, you will soon. <laughs> uh, it seems to be a very erogenous zone for everybody. So the vampire itself has always been a very erotic figure. Uh, but I found their love story in the beginning to be very, very touching. Uh, of course, it takes a turn. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about the turn, but uh, I think uh, Song Kang Ho, what he does really well is he shows emotion without actually doing anything with his face. I don't know yeah. if you, I don't know if you agree just, with that. He he really has a very much a stone face, and don't get me wrong, he can do broad comedy. We saw him do it in the Good, the Bad, the Weird. I've seen uh, in the Host, he does a lot of broad comedy. 
Yep. Uh, but also he can bring the the drama, and he does very little with his face. And to me, that's the example of a very very good actor because he really doesn't do a whole lot, and yet you can read everything that's going through his mind in this film. You're right. He's just an actor who, just with a subtle sort of twitch of his eye or something, he just he's one of the best actors in the world, quite frankly. I mean, there's not very many better than him. I'll put him up against anyone, anywhere. He's pretty damn. And he'll good. hold his own. Yeah, he's pretty damn good. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I'd say he's definitely top five working today. Oh yeah, and he's not flashy like some. He doesn't need to have the big theatrics about it, but he just he just fucking shows up and and just gives it you know a, a bona fide great performance. Um, there's a great line that unless you're an appreci- you you watch a lot of Asian film, maybe it wouldn't be funny. But they're playing mahjong, and his priest character is winning, and uh, one of the characters sort of mutters, "Some priest must be from Macau or something," and Macau is sort of like the seedy, steamy. Las Vegas of Asia. Yeah, that's what I've always heard. I've always heard that. I've always heard people say that. Of course, I don't know. I've never been there, but uh, that's what I've always heard. You've seen it in Exile. There's that big shootout there, and they go see the doctor when they're in Macau. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, just a funny little line. Um, I have to say, the more I saw of Ju, Sammy, the more she reminded me of an Asian Jessica Harper. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she really, really, to me, looked like Jessica Harper. Well, I think that he does the most interesting thing in the film. Uh, Kong Sang, uh, Kong Ho Sang, or Song Kang Ho, maybe. Uh, of course, I get confused <laughs> because, uh, you know, we're talking two different ways to pronounce a name here. Uh, she, I think he does some interesting things with her because he makes you fall in love with her and root for her because she's an underdog. And then he kind of turns the table on you. You know, I didn't like that when I watched the film, but I have to say, I, I have to wonder if maybe it wasn't, well, I don't know if it's still, maybe it is still a misfire, but we almost uh, are aligned with with um, the priest character in falling in love. And then when the carpet gets pulled out from under us a little bit, um, you know, we sort of feel what he feels. Um, I, I think it might be also that uh, uh, Park is thinking, uh, fuck, I don't know how to call this guy. What is he? I'm usually saying Park is fine. But this, yeah, Park <laughs> yeah, is Park fine. Is fine. Um, it might also be a commentary, too, on uh, power, on uh, how people get power, uh, even the most meek, once they get power in their hands. You know, absolute power corrupts absolute. You know that old saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think there might be a commentary there as well, because uh, you are rooting for this character, and then this character gets immortality, basically. And uh, this character really fucking changes once immortality kicks in. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll actually get to that here um, in a moment. Um, the film is very steamy, you know, which is uncharacteristic for an Asian film. There's armpit licking, there's toe sucking. There's basically moment, the parts in the film that are like a softcore porn. And that's, yeah. again, very rare for... Um, Not a fan for, of the armpit licking, sorry. Nor am I, although I know a lot of... Uh, I think there's a few scenes of that in cruising, if I remember correctly, in the uh, background. Yeah, yeah. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I love, uh, there's a quote in the film when, um, I think it was uh, Song Kang-ho's character, he sort of says, you know, no one blames someone for getting hurt in a car accident. No one gets mad at someone with cancer as if to say, I have a disease. I can't help what I do. Um, I didn't choose this vampirism. Uh, but that's the hand I've been dealt. So, because you know, he's sort of lamenting at the fact that he's become sort of a villain now. But he has a disease. He's sick. Yeah, yeah. And when he when he does when he goes with that blood, he starts to uh, kind of blister up, kind of bubble up. Yeah, exactly. So they really treat it like a disease more than they treat it like a uh, kind of a mythical uh, creature. 
Yeah, it's not this romantic thing where he wears this ruby amulet and a cape, and there's yeah. no, not even any fangs in the film. Quite frankly, you don't get one shot of fangs. Yeah, it's all, it's all man-made uh, disease. It's not uh, not your typical vampire. So I guess we should say that in case people are wondering if they're going to tune in and see some fangs. You're not going to see fangs. And no, you're not. And I love that Parks sort of further pokes fun at or demystifies uh, vampires with a few instances. He has sort of the subtle reveal of. Um, Song Kang Ho's reflection and sort of an angled shot of his reflection in a mirror in the washroom. Yeah. yeah. Which sort of says, hey, you know, this isn't, uh, again, garlic and nonsense. And he's a priest, so the crosses don't affect him. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. But uh, I love um, the priest character's makeshift coffin. It's basically like a standalone closet that he lays on its back and just pulls the doors shut. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of, it was kind of a funny little thing. And I think it's interesting in this, much like in Let the Right Wedding, we see the vampire character, when he starts to get injured, he starts to bleed through his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> which uh, is just gruesome stuff. Uh, for me, the film began to drag a lot after the boating incident. There's a, there's a section of about 20 minutes in the film where there's some guilt about something and there's what you know is potentially either um, hallucinations or ghosts. And, and it just... It, it just really began to drag for me, um, and it only started to pick up again when it took a darker tone and a more uh, vampiric tone with uh, different characters in the film. Yeah, I think that that section you're talking about, I like that section on its own. Yes. But in this film, it never fit. That's my biggest problem with the film. The film's overlong at two hours and 15, two hours and 20 minutes. Yep. They need to cut about 30 minutes out of it, quite frankly, because it is a bit um, schizophrenic in spots. It, like, mm-hmm. I don't like the, um, the, the broad comedy, which is sort of an Asian thing at times, but Park's a better filmmaker than that, quite frankly. Yeah, it's a little um, too broad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't mind the broad comedy, but this is just a little too broad. It's almost slapstick in spots. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. There's spots where it just it drags too much, and... You know, it's a shame, like I said, because he's a much better filmmaker than that. Um, You're right, though. You could dissect 30 seconds, 30 minutes out of this thing, and most of it would be that hallucination stuff. That there's nothing wrong with that actual stuff itself. It just, as far as the tone of this film goes, it's almost like the cruising thing again, to go back to that. It, it, it really took me out of the mm-hmm. vibe I had going with this movie. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um I'm talking about the sound design. There's a moment when someone gets choked by a vampire, yeah. and that sound is awful because you hear their throat get crushed. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of moments of sound in this. That also goes back to that hallucination thing with the uh, the uh, the uh, liquid lungs. Let's just say that. Oh yes, yes, yes. That bothered and me it, for some reason. Yeah, no, it would absolutely. Um, I love the. Um, what does this say? Oh, I love the happy birthday scene. I really, really love that scene. It really yeah. charged the film for me and brought it back to life, which yeah. is sort of um, ironic considering what happens in that scene. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> just bizarre, but it really jolted me. And I'm like, yes, I'm back in it to win it here. Um, there's a funny moment that you and I talked about when you came to Canada. And uh, Teju's character says, oh, we can live like Americans and we'll wear our shoes in the house. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And there you go, buddy. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh because before you, you, you sort of brought up the subject to me, you said, yeah, you know, I didn't want to offend anyone. Then uh, a little bit of reading, and I know you guys don't wear your shoes in the house. And I said, well, why you do? Like, you know, it's just so baffling to me. Like, I'm glad you did that because if, if you had been walking around my house in your shoes, my wife would have been like, what's up with this guy? He's fucking yeah. wearing his shoes. Like, what kind, of, what kind of ignorant is this guy? Yeah, this guy's got no respect. But, 
Yeah, but well, it's so, just a cultural thing. So yeah, I, something I've more. learned in my in my young life, in my 36 years, is if you're going to go to another country, regardless of how much like America, Canada might be, you need to always kind of be uh, aware of cultural differences because you could you can seriously offend somebody very quickly. And I did not want to be in the you part uh, room me in your house. I did not want to you know wear out my welcome within the first 10 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very nice of your in-laws, by the way, who let me wear my shoes in the house. They, they, they oh, were yes, nice yes. But yeah, in America, uh, and not, not to say, I mean, I don't have shoes on right now. We, we don't wear shoes all the time, but uh, we don't immediately take them off when we come in the house, which I know might be odd to you. But uh, yeah, that's the way it is. Americans, a lot of Americans, I, I know quite a few people that sit around the house with their shoes on. It's, it's, to me, it's just less comfortable, quite frankly. Not only do I want to take my shoes off, but most times I want to take my socks off. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Most times I'm in, I'm in the house, I'm in like uh, basketball shorts or pajama pants at all times. Oh, me too. Buddy, if I'm not at work, I have to wear like jeans or dress pants enough. Uh-huh. When I get home, like for my three days off, uh-huh. I'm pretty much wearing pajama pants or like sweatpants the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see the point of putting anything else on. They're all, everything. Jeans are not uh, leisure uh, items. They're not something you just sit around in. No. So, so. I know we got a little bit off topic there, but I did think you would think that was funny, actually, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've read about that. I read about that. For those of you behind the scenes that don't know, I don't know if we said anything about this on the air before, but, yes, before I went to Canada to meet Large William and his family and go to TIFF and whatnot, I read up on some Canadian customs, and one of the ones I read, and I can't remember the website I read it from, said that in Canada people are, you know like to take off their shoes and not wear their shoes in the house. It's, a very big, it, it's not a big deal, but it's something that's more customary than Americans. I thought, well, I'll have to remember that because uh, I'm used to wearing shoes. At least for like the first ten minutes, I'm in the house. So, yeah, yeah, very cool. <laughs> but I had to bring that up. I know it was a bit of a digression, a personal <laughs> digression, but it, it's just very fitting with with you know everything. But um, it, there's a great thing in this film. We can you know throughout the film, I know myself when we sort of see uh, Song Kang Ho's character torn between what he's doing and the vow he took as a priest. I'm thinking, oh, you fucking idiot! Come on, if you're that faithful to God, you wouldn't be. You know, even doing anything you're doing, but we see how difficult and how hard it is to keep that bloodlust um, or that, that just that hunger or that thirst mm-hmm. for blood um, below the surface. When a character with much less moral conviction than him turns, we, we see that he really was doing a commendable job, uh, all things considered. Well, I mean, there's also some – the thing about vampirism, not only is it an erotic, it seems, uh, type of, uh, you know, kind of thing, but also it's – you know, it comes down to survival. I mean, let's be honest. If vampirism did exist and if you were a vampire, you would have to – you would have to actually kill people. And uh, I know that's not in your character. That's not in my character for sure. But it's a real struggle. I mean, uh, you come down to animal instincts, what you will do to survive, right? So – Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of commentary there. And, and again, this is where uh, Song Kang Ho does a great job because you see him struggling in his face and sometimes he don't even say anything, but you can tell what he's thinking immediately. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I only got a few more notes here. Um, there's what has to be the most tense scene with some blinking over a game of Mahjong in the history of cinema. <laughs> yes, that was some intense <laughs> Mahjong. Uh, <laughs> seriously, whoa. And. It was, man. I mean, you're really on the edge of your seat. And then it's followed up with what has to be the best neck break in the history of cinema. That scene will go down. And if if anybody hasn't seen this yet and they see it, that scene will be in your brain for a long fucking time. (laughs) I've never seen a neck broken like that. And it's just awesome. It was awesome. It fucking freaked me out. 
It looked almost too real in a weird, bizarre. Oh man, it was just it was uh, talk about a shocking moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I remember the Mondo movie guys talking about a, a scene of violence toward the back end that's might be one of the best that uh, Chenwick Park's ever shot. And uh, they're right. This is one of the best things he's ever shot. This is just this comes out of nowhere, and when you see it, you will be blown away. Oh yeah, it's really good. <laughs> um, I just got two more notes. They're sort of tied in. Um, despite the sort of pull and push or the back and forth with a character, we get a very sweet return of, um, I don't want to spoil it. The the last shot, uh, what it shows in the Mm -hmm. film, it's a very sweet return of something I I found. um, I really, in, I really liked very touching. I love that last shot in the film with the music playing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not going to talk about it either, but I agree with you on that. It's just it's a wonderful, beautiful payoff. And that's it, actually. I'm done with my notes. It's All right. your turn. All right. Uh, I'll keep pretty short and sweet because I kind of came in a lot on during that conversation. But that's because a lot of, as usual, a lot of our notes are the same. Uh, I will say that the film will ask many questions of a viewer and it won't give you the answers. You got to you got to you got to take answers from it, I think. And like a lot of the really good films or solid films you see, it doesn't just you know hit you over the head with answers. It asks a lot of questions and it expects you to come up with answers. And I think you heard that in our conversation. Uh, something you didn't talk about that I was actually kind of surprised in it is uh, the wire work in this thing is actually really, really good. There's some wire work. There's some CGI when we get a really big um, uh, scene on of some rooftop jumping. Um, yeah, that, that, one's kinda, right that one's a little odd, but, but I like but I like the, the simple wire work, the, the very simple. The, the, there's a scene where he comes upon some people who want to be healed because he becomes oh, this, yes. he becomes just like this martyr, this uh, this savior for all these sick people and stuff. And he just kind of he just kind of glides off. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. The, the wire work was very seamless. Uh, I really did like it, actually, and the fact that I didn't mention it's probably a good thing in terms of it didn't stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, I mean, that's where I think it works. I mean, because wire work's been done to death at this point, and uh, so that a director like uh, Park Chan-wook can come in and do it and uh, actually bring some beauty back to wire work is, was pretty nice, I thought. Um yeah, you're right. The film does drag in spots. Uh, really, that one 30-minute chunk you're talking about, about 20, 25 minutes maybe, but 30 minutes is probably a good guess. It's It really does drag badly there. That's a shame. Uh, some of the comedy is misplaced. Uh, maybe it's hey, just culture. Okay. Hey, hang on one second, one second. No problem. You can hear the telephone ringing. Hello? Hey. No, no, I'm just actually recording myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is everything alright? I might leave this in. Okay. No, 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 it's okay. I'll, I'll call you back. Okay. <laughs> Terribly sorry, it was my father. Go no, ahead. no problem. Um, uh, yeah, I think that uh, maybe it's cultural comedy. Just you know, maybe I'm missing that somehow, some way. But uh, whatever. I, some of it's a little too broad and slapsticky, but. Uh, that gets me to the thing I like the most. Though. The last third of this film, uh, outside of the hallucination stuff and everything else, is fucking fantastic. And the last ten minutes of the film is both funny, touching, horrifying, and beautiful all in one in one uh, little piece. Uh, I really found the last uh, 10, 15 minutes of this thing to be pretty fucking amazing. Uh, really, the real strong point of the film for me is really the back end of it and uh, what transpires and what happens between two characters. And I don't want to go into it because obviously it'll give away a big chunk of the movie, and really there'd be no reason to watch it if I gave it gave it away. 
But uh, I don't know how you felt about that last 10, 15 minutes. I know how you felt about the last shot, but I'm talking about that last 10, 15 minutes between our two leads. Really, really uh, touches on everything uh, in the film. And, and like this last 10 or 15 minutes, really very interesting. I got to agree with you. I think it's masterful filmmaking, and it sort of gets itself on track. Um, it's a perfect it it's a perfect mixture uh, where the comedy throughout the rest of the film feels forced. The little comic moments at the back end feel kind of uh, they feel kind of natural, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So that's really all I got to add. I mean, I think I added plenty more on that, but uh, I want to hear what your scores and stuff are on this film. So let's let's hear it. Okay, uh, the make or break. What this is a make, and it's the back quarter of the film, or nice. maybe the back third from the sort of. Um, the birthday scene onward. Yes. Uh, because up until that point, much like the priest character, we're sort of finding ourselves and it's sort of uneven and there's some broad comedy and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, a good but sort of thankless role by Shin Ha Kyun uh, as the man boy with the <laughs> terrible hair. Um, uh, that stuff was, was okay up to a point, but, you know, uh, at that point on, it really electrified me. Um, my MVT is the uh, relationship and the push-pull and the sort of moral um, debate between the two characters. Um, um, you know, wonderful stuff. I really I was kind of torn on which way to go with that. It could be with Park Chan-wook, but I don't think it's his best film, um, to yeah. be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, my score is a 7.75 out of 10. I think it's a, it's a very good film. Maybe my score would go up on repeated viewings. Um you know, uh, with that being said, for this to be one of his, I think it's better than uh, I'm a Cyborg, but um, not in the class of JSA or, or the, the, the Vengeance trilogy. Right, right. Uh, good film, flawed, a little bit overlong, but it's still mm-hmm. absolutely worth checking out and still worth buying if the disc has anywhere, you know, even one or two small features on it. Yeah. Um, interesting, because my make or break is also the same as yours. Yeah. Uh, my MVT for the film is uh, just the theme of uh, vampirism as a disease because I think that's the best way to treat it now in this day and age uh, because we, uh, as human beings, we tend to be very scared of disease. Uh, swine flu is a good example of recent yes. uh, fear. People get, you know, the, the fear gets in them, you know. So I think that uh, the MVT of this film is just the vampirism as disease. And my score for the film is 7.75. So. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah, it's not quite an eight, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not quite an eight. It is flawed. It is flawed. But again, it's one of those uh, from a filmmaker like him. I'll take uh, I'll take a bunch of flaws because uh, he still the themes are still much more interesting than the flaws. So I still think he explored some some really good themes, and uh, he might have done it in a way that I might not have particularly liked. But still, I mean, I think that the film asks a lot of questions, and I think you'll get from it what you put into it. So. Seven point seven five sounds good to me. Sounds like we might have agreed on this film almost perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, Kel Supreze, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. It, it's uh, everything you said. I agree with, and and vice versa. So, all right, so that is our review of Thirst. We're gonna take a break here, and uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about play Misty for play Misty for me. <laughs> I had to say that kind of quietly. Play Misty for me. <laughs> all right, we'll be back right after this. Okay, let's do it. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Frank. And we are from the Are You Serious podcast, and we are here with... Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I think that's awesome, but I also think that I could do the same thing. 
talking about? It's just great to have you here and to be able to talk to you, even with all the stuff I've said. Don't shoot him. So I guess just to let people know, we, we cover movies, video games, and we talk about politics, TV, and um, people who bother us. Basically, we just skewer pop culture in general. I got a bad feeling about this. I think the show is awesome. You should think it's awesome, too. Don't get excited. Frank can get a little full of himself sometimes. I know. The Are You Serious Podcast is available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it to hold you around Those are marshmallow clouds being friendly In the arms of the evergreen trees And the sun is red like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze All the world is your snowball See how it grows That's how it goes Whenever it snows The world is your snowball Just Ah, yes, the beautiful tones Mr. Dino there My favorite of all the crooners uh, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful voice And uh, I love the way he, when he sings It almost sounds like he's drinking <laughs> You know, that was something he played up. I heard he, he was quite the teetotaler and didn't drink very much in real life, yeah. but he sort of played up that angle. But the, the real reality of it is, from what I understand, is, is he was not quite the person he actually was and is a public person. He was quite uh, enjoyed the glasses of milk and uh, watching some television. Did enjoy the cigarettes, however. Sadly. And yeah, he had such a wonderful voice. I think I might like him. Let me hang on, actually. I'm going to cut to something live on the air. Mama. <laughs> Who do you like better? Open the door for just a sec. Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra? Looks or <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, I meant singing. I did. I didn't. I didn't mean looks, but singing definitely Dean Martin. There we go. All right. Yeah. Looks. I don't know. They're both hot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, William likes Dean Martin too. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's all we're going to do. Nice. Do you want to talk anymore? No, I don't want to talk We're just going to go to work later, so. I'd like it. Yes. Okay, my apologies. I know my wife liked both, but I didn't know yeah. what she liked better. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess uh, from a female perspective, it would be hard to... Uh, I think if I was a female, and Bill's going to love this, but if I was a female, I'd probably have to go with looks. I'd probably have to go with a... Kind of a, a a middle-aged Frank Sinatra. I think he was a pretty good-looking dude back in the day. But singing voice, I, I don't. To me, there's no comparison. I think Dean blows Frank away. That's just my opinion. But yeah, and it's weird that Frank seemed to get much more of the acclaim than Dino. Dino Cohen sort of was like this the sidekick sort of variety show. Well, I think Dino. the thing is though, the Dean 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 had the Dino had this uh, kind of swagger to his singing. Yeah, you heard it in that song. He's like, oh, you know, I mean. Yeah. Whereas Sinatra kind of felt very. He very he was very loud and very out there, like right in your face. Whereas Dean kind of felt like he was kind of he was kind of massaging you before he you know made his in, <laughs> made his insertion with the yellow hanky. Diffuser hanky. Ooh, watch out! <laughs> as long as there's no red hanky, he's like, oh, I'm rubbing my fist in some bath oil. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stay still for a second. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's that's still getting ripped by someone. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh fuck. Anyway, um okay, so let's 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 talk about the film you decided to pick. Uh, play Misty for me from nineteen seventy one. I'll let you go ahead and plot some of as this thing. <laughs> okay, so nineteen seventy one's Play Misty for me, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. This was his directorial debut. Uh he agreed to he really wanted to direct a film and he had agreed to do it. He wouldn't accept a paycheck for it though. Um the rest is history. I consider him to be the best filmmaker slash actor uh, of all time, quite possibly. Uh, Probably, I would say, the best. Um, And this was where he got it all started. Um, Interestingly, uh, it primarily stars him and uh, Jessica Walter, who most of us, I think, will probably know as Lucille Bluth. (laughs) Yeah, at this point, Um, yes. The the, uh, sort of scheming matriarch of of the Bluth family. And there's Bill. I accidentally asked him if he was... Um, around instead of you this morning, and now he's telling me he's home. Hi, Bill. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, I'll get back to Bill in a bit. Um, so yeah, I picked this film. Um, what did you think? Okay. Um, so play Misty for me. I had seen this originally a long time ago. Um, it's been a while since I had seen it uh, again, so I was happy to go back and revisit it. And I have to agree with you. Out of all the actor. Directors, I certainly think Clint Eastwood is uh, one of the most talented, if not maybe the best. It's hard to say if he's the best. Uh, you did, now you just sent that message to me. Oh, for <laughs> fuck's sake! You've got to be kidding me. So, so that one came to me. I heard that. I'm like, what? Is Bill out hitting him up too? Gee, I'm sorry, man. That's okay. A live on the air Skypeage going on there, guys. For all those entertained. Anyway. Um, so I'd seen this film a long before, uh, a long ago, and I knew Clint Eastwood. Uh, you know, he he didn't want to take pay for this, I think, because he didn't know if he could succeed as a director. But he really wanted to try his hand at directing and stuff. And I think we're all, as movie fans, very thankful for the fact that he did eventually go into directing because we've gotten some really great films from him uh, since then. Uh, some of his output has been absolutely uh, just brilliant, I think, uh, including one of my top five westerns of all time. So. Uh, he is uh, he is a great director. Uh, I say that without hesitation. I seriously believe he's one of the great directors. Um, so this is a very basic basic film. Uh, this is uh, this is probably the best kind of film I would say to cut your teeth on if you never directed a film. Uh, not that I would know. I've never directed a movie, but uh, I would say that uh, you know he keeps this very. It's obviously a low budget film. They didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. Uh, you know, it looks like the thing that cost the most was uh, Eastwood's uh, stylist for his hair. Because this guy has got a massive mane in this film. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this thing, it is huge, man. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got this huge sideburns and stuff. This is definitely Clint in 70s mode. And his, his costuming in this film, you got you had to smile when you saw some of these shirts and these slacks he was wearing, right? Oh, man. Dude's got um, burns that would make Elvis weep with envy, yes. for starters. Yes. <laughs> um, he wears a yellow at one point, a bright yellow, and another point, a bright orange motorcycle jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean he so, uh, he brings yeah, he brings the seventies gaudiness. He brings it, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> Elvis Presley was watching this, going, "Hmm, I got some ideas." <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and that's uh, his hair even looks like Elvis's hair in some respects. What, yeah, when it gets sort of voluminous. Yeah, when what Elvis would eventually go to, I should say, because by seventy one, I don't think Elvis was there yet. But by the time you get to like seventy four, seventy five, Elvis, you get the burns and the kind of quaff. You know, kind of blown back on the sides, a blowback look, and everything. Anyway, the uh, the opening of this film is pretty great. Uh, I love. Uh, obviously, they shot it in uh, Carmel, 
um, which is the town that Eastwood would eventually become mayor of, I believe. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, it's, of course, it's a beautiful cinematically. It's one of those beautiful California areas, uh, the ocean and whatnot. And I love him, you know, driving his little car and, and listening to that kind of, that kind of boogie, uh, kind of old school rock and roll boogie music that plays every now and then. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, it's a really great opening. And, uh, uh, I, I for some strange reason, it, it doesn't really go with the rest of the film, that opening. It's just kind of a scenic establishment shot. But it, I don't know. I really like that opening a lot. It really kind of pulled me into the movie, setting up that uh, the island of Carmel or this little area of Carmel uh, as, a, as a little, as an area where the story is going to take place. It kind of felt like, uh, I don't know, I kind of related it to like how Stephen King will set up an area or a town and uh you know he sets it up with you know telling you where the stores are telling you where the you know this is where the yacht club is blah 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 and then you know as you as you read the book you know you remember where these places are because he set up this landscape right so i kind of felt like that's what eastwood did with the establishment shot at the beginning and uh, it was pretty cool uh, again not good for his hair to ride in a convertible like that but you know hey. <laughs> uh we hear the words uh we found out he's a dj and we hear the words uh play misty for me i don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that, that's my best uh, Jessica Walters. I don't know if I can do a Jessica Walters, really. Uh, actually, I could do an impersonation of her in this film, but I will wake my wife up, who is currently sleeping in the other room. Because <laughs> there are moments when she takes it over the fucking top in this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man, she goes way out. And it's really, really weird to see her as a sex pot. She, she was beautiful. And uh, as an older lady, she still is quite attractive. But she was really, really gorgeous. Uh, I mean, her hair is unfortunate in this film because it's that weird late 60s, early 70s kind of, uh, I think you called it like a, a lesbian coif type look. You know, Well, there's a lot of lesbian mullets in this film. And all respect to lesbians, but that's the sort of aesthetic yeah. it reminds me of. Yeah. Maybe this is – it does remind you of that. Maybe it's a tad more feminine maybe. Uh, maybe not like a – you know, like a – well, anyway, before we dig ourselves in a hole we can't get out of, I'll just drop it. But uh, either way, uh, yeah, I think she – you know, she's really quite the sex spot in this movie. And uh, you can see where Clint – he's this kind of ladies' man. He's a DJ. He likes to jazz. A little bit of Clint uh, – a little bit of actual Clint coming through there because if anybody knows anything about Clint, he's actually a jazz musician and he likes jazz quite a bit. And you know he, he it's very it's a very pretentious character he's playing because you know the the weirdest thing is that he reads poetry before he plays his music so he's kind of like a uh, I don't guess you guys have a Dalala after dark uh, type of the uh, show up there like these love shows on the radio where you get this host that comes on it's like hey oh, we have one it's called it's uh, lovers and other strangers yeah there you go every every local radio station has one we have, down here I think it's Dalala and I think she's syndicated. And we, and we always joke around about her because she's always giving love advice, and yet she's been married about six times. So I don't you know. know what, I don't know what kind I'm of sorry. advice. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. What was that? I'm just saying I don't know what kind of advice she can give. She's been married six times, so I don't. I don't know what she's given out. But hey, whatever. Well, she's given out something, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's just not. Uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll get off that. Um, I would have loved if during one of his shifts, though, um, as he was walking in. Stevie Wayne, Antonio Bay had yeah. walked out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean it's very similar to that in some way aspects. I could probably see where maybe Carpenter kind of picked it up because I mean he's he, it's a little local DJ station. He's obviously aiming to be a bigger DJ, and I know it sounds weird to think of Clint Eastwood as a DJ because we're so used to him with uh, you know guns in hand or whatnot. But uh, yeah, he pulls off the character pretty well. I mean you get some personal uh, aspects. A lot of people who don't know that Clint Eastwood's a big music fan and stuff and a musician. Uh, He's actually quite into the arts outside of, uh, you know, gun battles and movies and, and, hor <laughs> and horses, you know, so which yeah. is what he's most known for. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like Carpenter might have saw some stuff because I feel like 
I know that the fog was actually shot in Southern California as well, and and probably not too far from Carmel. It's a Marin County, I believe, which I don't think I don't know my geography too well of California off the top of my head, but I think that maybe some of our California listeners know I don't think Carmel's too far away from the same areas because you can't you kind of get the same aesthetic feel as the fog a little bit, wouldn't you say? Especially, actually, now that we think about it, the scenes of Stevie Wayne driving along the seaside in her convertible are very similar. Yes, yes. Some of those really beautiful, you know, Pacific Highway type of uh, vistas, you get a lot of that in this film, too. So, yeah. So, so the bartender, did the bartender look familiar to you, old Murph? Well, the bartender looked familiar, but um, more than that, he <laughs> certainly, I don't know where I'm segueing with this, but yes, he did look familiar, and that was. Who, Sammy? Tell us. That was a good old. Who, I know who it is, by the way. <laughs> okay, I figured you did. Uh, that was good old Don Siegel, who uh, would, of course, uh, make seminal films with Mr. Eastwood, and uh, was one of Clint's biggest influences between him and uh, Sergio Leone. Uh, really, the the directors that made Clint Eastwood a star. So, I think he was always very appreciative of those guys, and he was very good friends with Don Siegel. So, it was really good to see Don Siegel. Don Siegel actually is a pretty good actor, man. I mean, I think the bartender role was a pretty thankless role, but I think he does a good job. Yeah, he's great in it. He's sort of got that sort of bartendery kind of charm down. Uh, I liked him a lot, and uh, he was really good in it, man. He should have done more cameos. Yeah, that. Uh, let me ask that uh, game they're playing. Is that just a made-up game? Because I don't. I've never, I'm, I'm not familiar with that game at all. I don't know what the fucking rules were, and I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it was just a bait to get old Evelyn to come over and say, "Hey, you know, hey." I'm so happy you bring that up because <laughs> I have a note here. It says. What game are they playing here? Cry Bastion? So I typed Cry Bastion into Google before we started the show. And there's a review on IMDb and it says that Clint admitted in the DVD documentary there's no such game at all. They were just fooling around and improvising the game while playing it. Yeah. (laughs) But it it works because it's it's basically to attract Evelyn. Because when he first sees Evelyn, who's Jessica Walter's character, when he first sees her, uh, again, she's kind of a sex pot and stuff. And Clint's a bit of an old old dog. I mean, he, he likes to sleep around, likes to have a good time. Uh, so, you know, he's going to, he's going to, you know, he's going to kind of talk Evelyn up and have a good time and whatnot. And then, so, you know, he, he's an enticer. And so he entices her with this game, Cry Bastion, which is not a game at all. And it has no rules whatsoever. I was watching and I'm like, I don't understand the rules of this game at all. It's like, <laughs> they're making it up as they go. And obviously they were. So, yeah, I was like, either I'm a complete moron or this game is, has a rule book as dense as the yellow pages or something's not right here. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, he ends up uh, hooking up with uh, Evelyn, Jessica Walter's character, and uh, the whole time we find out that Clint, uh, I guess he had a relationship with Toby, and it went sour, and uh, then she ends up back in town and stuff, and so we end up set up in this kind of triangle, this kind of love triangle a little bit, and Clint obviously wants to be with Toby, but he, you know, he's, he, he likes, uh, you know, he likes to sleep around, and uh, I think once she comes back, I think he's willing to change his ways, but... Uh, by this time, Evelyn's already gotten a taste of the old Dave, DJ Dave here, and uh, which is the weirdest name for a Clint Eastwood character ever, Dave. <laughs> just, yeah. He doesn't look like a Dave at all, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, she's not got a taste now, and now we go into what is basically a stalker story or a uh, relationship gone bad, basically a fatal attraction type thing. Before fatal attraction, thing. yeah, before fatal attraction. Before fatal attraction, correct, and... Uh, it gets some interesting thing. Uh, there's not a lot of other people in the movie that are really familiar other than Don Siegel. And I think the guy that plays the other DJ, I think he's been in some other Clint Eastwood movies. I know he was in Any Which Way, Every Which Way But Loose. But I can't remember if he's in anything else. But I'm sure he has. Clint tends to make friends with the people he works with and tends to put them back in movies over and over and over again like a lot of directors. But uh, I believe Donna Mills, wasn't she on – I'm going to click on her name here. 
I think she was on – was she on Dynasty or Knott's Landing? I think she – I were in her reading about her because she didn't look overly familiar to me and with good reason. I don't think she's very good in the film. But yeah. I think she had a starring role on one of those big soaps. Yeah, Knott's Landing, 233 episodes from 80 to 93. So she was on that show for a long time, 13 years. God damn, that show ran that long? Fuck's sake. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> wow, that's a long time, dude. <laughs> that is a long time. Uh, she was on that show, and I remember she was always kind of a TV. She's one of those TV celebrities and stuff. And I actually didn't even really uh, notice her here at the beginning, well, partially because of the bad haircut, but also partially because she just looks so young and so different. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, but she, you know, she's kind of cute and as cute as she can be with that hairdo. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the scenes you can tell this is a first-time director. There's some scenes that are set up well. Uh, some scenes with uh, Jessica Walters' character in the background, some stalking scenes and stuff. I think the conceit of the film is pretty good. Uh, I should have seen it coming the first time I saw this film, and I didn't. Of course, you know, the second time around I saw it coming. But uh, the first time I saw it, uh, I really didn't see it coming. So I have to think that Clint Eastwood had a little bit of directorial talent right from the get-go because I should have saw that coming because it's a pretty basic plot twist, you know what I mean, toward the back end. So I, I, I don't know why I didn't see it coming the first time. Maybe I just got uh, caught up in the story. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the one thing I had to say that really took me out of the film, and I don't know if it did you or not, but we'll see the establishment of backstory for Clint's character with her and them walking on the beach and setting up this whole relationship. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you between her being sort of the sparkless wonder and she's not very attractive, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> Jessica Walter was far better if crazier. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. You know, but then again, I have more of a taste for the brunettes. Um, I just think that the stuff with them and the music and the walking and the lovemaking under the waterfall, it really dragged me out of the film. I mean, the Roberta Flack song that's playing is nice, but um, it just on the whole, that stuff, again, it, just, it was just this sort of soft filler I just I didn't need. And I think if you had have pulled that out, um, you would have had a bit even more of a tense kind of uh, thriller on your hands. I agree. Uh, that 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 again. This is two films uh, that we've done this week where the things are moving along. Things are moving along at a good pace. You're into the movie, and then there's this moment where things change, and they don't change for the better. They kind of almost break the film, and and it, I just really got pulled out by this kind of Harlequin romance. I mean, come on, making love under a waterfall. Come on, really? Uh, oh yeah, they're both like naked, and they're just rolling around at the the waterfall and stuff, and. The thing that, that bothers me about it is there's the scene where they're first getting back together and they're talking and they're try- I guess maybe Eastwood's trying to show the passage of time by different angles with the camera and the voiceover continues as it's being edited for different angles. And because the conversation is uninteresting, it makes the scene seem even longer than it already is because it's like we see the tangible proof that they're moving around this different areas of the town. It's like, oh, fucking get on with it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean... You know, it, it did take me out, though. I, I had a feeling it would take you out as well. I just had a feeling because whenever there's a film we watch and it comes to a screeching halt, I just I have this image in my head of you watching it going, oh, come on. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. So, you know, I have this image. I do think it was, uh, again, I'll say it was wise for Eastwood to use his love of music in here. He does. It feels a little wedged in sometimes. Sometimes it feels like he's wedging it in a little too much. Yep. But but other than that, I really kind of liked it. I'm not the world's biggest jazz fan. I don't mind it. It's it's always kind of sounded like Muzak to me in a way. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying, you know, it's always been that kind of music that sounds great in the background or sounds great in like a bar or you know, like if I'm hanging out with some buddies and it's just on. 
it's great for like a mood setter and stuff, but it's never been the kind of music that like I sit around and dissect like some people do. Some people love it so much they'll sit around and actually dissect it and stuff. I've never really felt that. I've always just kind of felt like it's nice, very nice background music. Maybe not as bland as music, obviously, but I've always kind of felt it's really good for like background stuff. It's, it's, it's very unintrus- unintrusive music, so... I, for what it's worth, I love it. Um, I I know all the big names. I'm certainly not an expert. Yep. To me, jazz is something that is always best at night. Yeah. That's- There's something about it that just lends itself so well to being played at night to when I'm driving home. Or I found lately I've been in a kick where I'm cooking dinner for my wife cause she, uh, the days I'm off because she's still working. And, and I'll put it on in the evening and William and I will be in the kitchen. And uh, it's good there, like you said, but that's more background music than anything. Yeah, and it's really good for that because I, I've, I, you know, we got jazz channels down here, and I'll put it on sometimes when I'm doing something in the house or something like that. If I'm not listening to one of my fellow podcasters, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll put it on the background. Uh, so that's really all the notes I really have. I mean, uh, I don't want to get into too much of the plot because there is a there is a twist, and I don't want to give it away. Obviously, for anybody that hasn't seen it, and I feel like some people might not have seen this one because it's Clint one of Clint Eastwood's early films, and a lot of people tend to avoid most of his films that don't. Have him in a cowboy hat or with a five o'clock shadow. So I want to, I want to make sure that if people see this, that I don't ruin it for them. So I don't want to give away too much. Well, just the, the, basically, it's a stalker story and stuff. And there's a nice little twist that if you haven't seen it the first time, I don't know if you'll see it coming or not. But I'll kick, I'll kick it over to you for some notes. Okay, so uh, call me old fashioned, but a, it's nice to see a young Clint again, yes. and uh, b, it's nice to see a DJ playing records. Yes, that's always nice. I like the old records. <laughs> I love that. There's just something that seems more intimate. Like we said, even about Stevie Wayne and kind of her hushed tones. I really love those scenes with her at the at the Antonio Bay. Um, oh, my wife's cooking something. It smells fantastic. Um, uh, I totally derailed me now. I just got food on the brain, man. Pavlovian. Um, wow. Nice. But I just love that intimacy and, and the sort of that really feels like they're talking to you. The DJ was talking to you. Instead of this, hey, hey, crazy DJ. Rah, rah. You know, this nonsense that you get nowadays. Um, I also, speaking of love, I love the gams on Lucille Bluth, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the scenes when you see her body, uh, you know, it's obvious. Jessica Walters, uh, an attractive young lady. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she had a body on her. I oh, mean, yeah. That's really all I can say. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Did she ever? Um the one thing I always love about Clint, you know, I don't think that he gets enough credit for that I've always found. And we talked about this with, um, in fact, I think it was either the most valuable thing. I think it was the most valuable thing or the make or break for both of us in um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is Clint has um, a natural knack for creating chemistry with the other actors in his films. Yes. And he just makes it feel so comfortable and just... It's just it's a joy to see uh, whether it's manufactured or not. He makes it work because the scenes with him and his buddy uh, is it Al the the, the African American uh, DJ that he's friends with. I love their scenes. They're sort of bantering back and forth. Like early on, there's a scene when his buddy Al's worried about him, and he says, "Al, you know, you're going to make a great mother someday." Um, yeah, I mean, wonderful. he has this really. I don't I don't know what the word is, but there's these scene, when he has these scenes with these males. There's this great kind of brotherly camaraderie uh, that seems very natural. I mean, he just Clint just seems like a man's man. He seems like the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. You know what I mean? And that, oh yeah, that always comes through. And <clears throat> and whenever he does a scene, and it could be the most secondary actor you've ever seen. I mean, and this actor that he works with in this, I can't remember his name. It's uh, 
James McEachan, maybe? I I think so, yeah. He's pretty charming, but he's not like a powerhouse. No, but Clint makes him, with Clint's movie star ability and everything else, the scenes of them together, uh, they act like they've been friends for, you know, 40 years. I mean, it just, it works so good. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of great moments of, uh, you know, kind of teasing about other chicks. I mean, this is stuff guys do. Guys do this. I mean, I'm sure women do it with each other too, but guys do this kind of stuff when they're with each other. Like, hey, hey, hey yeah, yeah, whatever, buddy. Yeah, I'm sure you don't want to go out. You ain't got nobody coming over. Uh huh. Yeah, whatever. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's handled a lot better here than it is, of course, in like the stabilizer <laughs> where he's like, Oh, I thought you were going on your own. Oh, you caught me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, then again, I mean, we're talking about a totally different filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, no, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I've always liked scenes. For, for me, Clint Eastwood seems to work best. I know this sounds like kind of strange, but he's almost like the perfect actor to work with other male actors. I mean, when he's with a male actor on screen, the camaraderie and friendship. I think of him and Morgan Freeman and Unforgiven and stuff like that. I mean, it just oh, yeah. it really just oozes out of the the screen. He really knows how to bring that friendship and camaraderie between males. Uh, he knows how to really bring that out somehow. Yeah, he does. He does it better than anyone, I'd say. I'll I think so. I, I think I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I think out of all the older actors I've ever seen, I think he really brings like the best out in other actors, and and when they're in scenes together, so I mean, he really does. Oh yeah. Um, I want to mention a line and a brief character in the film, and tell me if you remember who this is. Oh please, don't mention the seafood. <laughs> oh, <don't say> <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> That's a character by, by the name of JJ, who's the homosexual roommate of uh, Toby, who's uh, Clint's on again, off again girlfriend. And Clint sort of uh, fires back at him. Why don't you go cruising for some sailors? <laughs> yeah. I heard the cruising uh, comment and I laughed because here we go yes. with some cruising comments again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it was funny. It's like, oh, you know, that. But I mean, I'll say this as much as it's a, a ridiculous stereotype, I like the fact that that Clint has African-Americans in prominent roles in his film at a time when uh, there wasn't many. He has homosexual character in his film uh, when at the time there really wasn't many. So was it a progressive homosexual? No. But at the same time, I think he did a pretty good job of integrating uh, something other than just whites into his films. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is his first film. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he did. I've always felt with Clint Eastwood that there's never, like that whole thing with him and Spike Lee, that Spike Lee said that, you know, his movie was racist, blah blah blah, because of this. Oh. But it was, it was like, dude. I mean, Spike Lee's made some comments in his life that don't get me wrong. The guy's full of you know hot air. He makes a lot of inflammatory comments for no reason at all, just because he can. But that one was probably the most ridiculous one he's ever made because it's like, dude, the dude's telling his story. It doesn't have anything to do with black, white, green, blue, whatever. Let the fucking guy tell his story. Don't give me that shit. I mean, the guy. You can't say that he's racist and everything else. Look at some of the fucking films he's made. I mean, look at Birdie. Have you ever seen fucking Birdie? I mean, come on, Spike Lee, you fucking moron. Yeah, Spike Lee is is someone who who um, likes to sometimes sit on his uh, his sort of pedestal. But he's made some racist comments. But because, and I'll be frank, because it's against white people, it, it, he gets a free pass sometimes. Right. And and it's a shame that he feels the need to do that. Um, it is. He sits on his high chair. Let's say that because he's only about five yeah. foot tall. Yeah, and, and listen, he's made some wonderful films. I think Do the Right Thing is, is one of one of my favorite films. He's made some great films, and I understand, you know, I, I can never understand where he's coming from, and I don't want to get too far off into this tangent, but I think it's it's absolutely ridiculous that he's going to brand or accuse Eastwood, someone who has a love for uh, a lot of arts that are primarily dominated by African Americans, um, 
he's going to brand him as a racist. I just think it's preposterous. Well, I think uh, in, in true Clint Eastwood style fashion, I think his reaction to Spike Lee was he needs to shut his mouth. And that's my reaction to Spike Lee when it comes to that, too. Just shut up. Yeah. But seriously, works. come on. I mean, you, you might have some basic comments sometimes that hit a moment of truth, but come on. Just shut up. Give me a break. I mean, listen, that movie he did, and this is the last thing I'll say about him, Summer of Sam, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. He did that movie. I was anticipating that it was going to be pretty good, you know, period piece, 70s killer. Um, when I watched that film, even at an age, I was about 18, 19 when it came out, maybe 20, I don't remember. Um, I remember thinking to myself, even not trying to look at it through a critical or critic's eye, that was some of the worst white dialogue ever written. <laughs> it was pretty I mean, you, you talk about stereotyping Italians. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. come on. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. You know, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, that's all I'll say about him. Well, the only reason why I bring it up is because, again, I, I do agree with you. I think uh, Eastwood was a progressive director. I don't think he was regressive in the least, and I still don't think he is. I still think at the age that he is now, he is still incredibly open. And I think that I think he should be commended for that because he's a very at this point. Let's be honest; he is an old man, and that he still that he still keeps his mind as open as he does is amazing to me. Oh yeah, hey, listen. I know even as I get to be older, I, and I'm talking about trivial things like I'm not very receptive to new music or new things. How easy it is to get set in your ways, and he's you know pushing eighty or maybe he's in his early eighties now, and he's still progressive enough that it's got to be commended. I mean, you know, absolutely. Yep. Um, I'll try and sip through my notes here. You know, there's scenes when Walter goes wide-eyed and starts shrieking that it's enough to send chills down your spine when you realize how obsession will drive people to heights or depths never imagined before. And and her performance is is all the more convincing because you actually fear for Harry Callahan or the man with no name. <laughs> yeah, yeah she, does some, she does some awful things to him. And But the, one of the good things Clint does is he, the, um, he, sets, he kind of foreshadows her craziness. Yeah, there's a moment where she kind of loses her temper, and he kind of looks at her like, well, "This fucking broad's crazy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So uh, you know, he kind of foreshadows. If there's a scene where he's meeting with somebody for another job, and that scene was terribly uncomfortable, and I felt bad for him, man. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you got you got in bed with the wrong chick this time, man. <laughs> I know, and we've all been there. In fact, when I put this thread up, uh, someone posted on the on the on the Facebook group, "Hey, I dated Evelyn once," and I was like, "Yeah, I dated a few Evelyns too." And somebody's like, "I married Evelyn in the '80s." <laughs> I think it was Doc Zom, but I know that, uh, yeah, we've all dated an Evelyn. Yes, yes, and it's just, oh, man, the, the stupid things men do sometimes. And I'm sure that there's there's females out there that have dated a male-type Evelyn. I'm, I'm actually positive of that, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah, sadly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment in the film when a character happens upon Clint's place being destroyed. That character is attacked. Now, the FX are sort of the red paint variety. The brutality and insanity and ferocity in this scene is undeniable, but what happens afterwards, despite this brutal cleaver attack, sort of cheapened it for me a little bit? Uh, yes. A I, lot, actually. I thought it would have been a lot more powerful if it had have went the way it should have gone. Um, I agree. You know, the funny thing about that attack, too, it's almost it feels like Italian cinema, doesn't it? Yeah, just frenzied kind of editing, really tight camera. The cleaver is close. She's swinging it wildly, you know, really insane stuff. And, you know, that's a strong scene, but then it's followed up with sort of the cop. But, and then we get one of the most implausible um, moves in the film, which is when Clint absolutely denies knowing Evelyn. And, and you know, it's nothing more than a sort of a thoroughly maddening plot point to progress the story even further and to stretch that sort of cheese pizza out even further. But, 
Um, I mean, I get it, but I just think, you know, uh, it was a little bit unfortunate that, that sort of he misstepped uh, those two moments. Yeah, it's definitely a weakness of the movie. Yeah. Um, I just got a couple more notes here. There's a great sort of back and forth with him and the detective on the case who um, the detective says, why don't you play Monteveni sometime? Yeah. He said, I didn't, you, didn't know you liked the show, detective. And he says, I don't. I like Monteveni. <laughs> Again, there's, that's another scene where there's a secondary character actor who I don't know anything else he's done. And Clint Eastwood uh, makes, him, uh, makes him stand out. Yeah. Because the scenes between him and that detective are pretty great, too. Oh, yeah, they are. They're they're really good. Again, like we said, it's just his ability to to sort of you know carry or uh, add some charm uh, to the scene. Um, there's a lot of water shots, and I think it's partially obviously because of his affection for the the, the area of California. He went on to become the mayor, so certainly he did love the place. Yeah. But I almost wonder if too. This is seventy or seventy one. We said this is right after his work in Italy. I almost wonder if it was almost too in some way subconsciously or otherwise separate himself from the dusty dryness of spaghetti westerns. Uh, maybe, maybe I could see that. There's an there's an argument there. I think I think uh, that would make sense. Even if it was sort of a meta thing, sort of a, a self winking kind of, you know, whatever. I just I kind of got that vibe. But I mean, I could be wrong. I could be reading far too much into it. But uh, yeah, those are all my notes actually. Uh, okay. So uh, I was just looking through Clint's biography while you're talking. He's filming another movie right now, and yeah, he will be 80 years old here soon. So he's still working. Wow. Very impressive. Next May, he will be 80. That's impressive, buddy. Man, has he directed that many movies? Fuck's sake. I love Thirty Eastwood so much. 34 movies. That seems... That doesn't... Yeah, I guess that is true. I'm looking through the stuff. Uh, Wow. <laughs> There's actually one in here I haven't seen called Breezy. Have you ever seen Breezy? Nope. Hmm came out the year i was born we might have to look into it uh, yeah okay anyway i know that's exciting uh, internet radio apologies um okay so my um uh, mvt for the film is i'm gonna go with uh, eastwood's hair uh it's fucking outstanding <laughs> I, i'm joking and i'm being honest at the same time i think this this quaff is amazing i was just gonna go with eastwood by himself uh because i like watching him so much because he brings out so much of people but it might have been the hair that brought out so much in people i don't know uh, but uh, it's both Eastwood and his hair. It's pretty fucking amazing. Trust me, you got to see this thing. I make or break. I'm going to go with the the city of Carmel itself. I just think it's beautiful cinematically. It really brings an edge to it. And to be honest with you, before me and you talked about it, I didn't even put the fog together with this. And now looking back at the fog, I can totally see that. You know what I mean? So it's pretty amazing. Uh, so that was a uh, good call on your part. I I totally did not even pay attention to the similarities between this and the fog in some ways. Uh, even Jessica Walter playing that zombie pirate. That was weird. that was very strange i I don't don't know how i couldn't put that together at that point (laughs) she had worms crawling out of her neck and i'm like i've seen this somewhere before yeah (laughs) oh man and buck and buck flowers showed up (laughs) i was like wow you know this seems so familiar but yet i'm I'm confused but uh, anyway (laughs) but my score for the film is a perfect uh seven out of seven i think uh, no not seven out of seven anyway seven out of ten um, I really think this film is uh very solid. It's it's very good for a uh, you know it's he kind of he did a little bit of directorial work in the Beguiled. He kind of helped out a little bit there, but this is really his his directorial debut. And for a debut, it's pretty solid. I'm looking through his filmography here as a director, and there are much worse films in here than this one. Uh, uh for instance, uh, I like The Rookie, but it's not a good movie. Is it with Charlie Sheen? Yeah. 
Um, I like Space Cowboys, but I just liked it because I got to see old men hang out together that I thought were cool. You know, one of his I never saw. I don't know if he directed it. Pink Cadillac? Uh, he did not direct Pink Cadillac. Okay, good. Thank God. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, mean, I mean, there's some stuff in there that's not so great. But, uh, you know, uh, this one this one is not a bad film. And uh, it's a pretty solid film. And if you're in the mood for kind of like a breezy, nice, kind of stalky, kind of Hitchcockian type film, I think you could go, you could get much, you, I mean, you could do much worse than this. I think this is pretty solid. So I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I'll kick it back over to you. Okay, so my make or break is the suicide attempt by, uh, oh, wow, I did smell something awesome. I got eggs, toast, and hash browns with seasoning on it. Nice. Awesome. I'm putting this down because I, I, wow. I had, I've had breakfast at the Smith household. It's very delicious. <laughs> um, is the suicide attempt by Jessica Walters' character. It's at this moment, and it's actually a nice visual, visual moment because we see her wide-eyed kind of draped over the the uh the basin the pedestal basin in the washroom Mm -hmm. and it's at this moment if there was ever any uncertainty that maybe she was just fragile we know now that she's capable of going to lengths far beyond what a normal person would be capable of yes agreed um so i love that moment my mvt is absolutely jessica walter i think she is amazing in this film i love her in this film um it's partially because I, it's so weird to see Lucille Bluth in something other than that, mm-hmm. other uh-huh. than Arrested Development. <laughs> but it's partially because, like I said, for her us to feel fear for Eastwood, who is the manliest of men, um, for us to feel fear uh, for him and for her to be able to stop on a dime between pretty, nice, desperate, insane, violent, all of these things is a testament to her work. Yes. I mean, she was definitely the runner-up for my MVT. There's no doubt about it that she's one of the best things about this movie. Oh, yeah, she's really good. Because if it was the wrong female, much like if it's the wrong child in an evil, evil child movie, you just go, come on. Well, the good example is that the girl that he does love, Donna Mills, doesn't ever really feel like the right girl for Clint Eastwood for some reason. No, she's just like a vanilla wafer, just... Yep. Not filling or satisfying at all. My score for the film is slightly better than yours. It's a 7.25 out of 10. Okay. Uh, I think this is a very good directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sort of a horror movie of sorts, and uh, or thriller, I guess. And um, interesting to see uh, Eastwood dabble his toe in, or dip his toe into that genre. So Yeah, I know he's making a new film, uh, kind of a supernatural thriller type movie uh, with Matt Damon called Hereafter, I believe. So Oh, well, I'll be interested to see that. I will be too. <laughs> <laughs> again, once he works with somebody, it seems like he works with them again and again. I think he just worked with Matt Damon and Victus, so it looks like he's going to work with him again. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. I think we better uh, shut this review down so uh, you can have some eggs and hash browns and whatnot. And, you know, again, I didn't mention this when we came back from break, and I apologize to Bill for this, but I want to mention now to make sure to check out OTC next week. It'll be their 100th episode. I want to congratulate those guys. On 100 episodes, uh, they don't miss a week. They are the workhorse of the podcast community right now. Uh, terribly impressive. Uh, they're not the only one reaching 100. I believe uh, Brother D and them reach 100 this week. But amazing that they've gotten that far. We're on 61, and we hope to reach 100 as well and, and be talking about it as well. Of course, by the time we reach 100, they'll be reaching 150, but whatever. We start a little <laughs> later. But either way, I want to congratulate them. And they are covering uh, – well, I don't know if they're covering, but they're what they're doing is they watched uh, – uh, it's going to be four full hours of live broadcasting next Sunday, and they're covering 20 films. And, and oddly enough, and Thirst is in there. So if you guys want to tune in and whatnot, uh, hopefully I'll be able to tune in. I don't know if I will. Sundays are kind of full for me. Uh, starts at about 4 p.m. on Sunday at uh, tv.outsidethecinema.com. 
uh, check it out if you want to hang out with those guys for four hours, uh, and that would be very cool. And uh, that's about it. I don't know what all they're covering. I know they're covering Thirst, and I believe a couple other really odd picks in there. But either way, hopefully uh, people will check it out. So my apologies, Bill, for not mentioning that earlier, but you know my memory is that of a goldfish. So there we go. Yes, and I also wanted to uh, congratulate them on 100 episodes. never easy, and they are the mailmen. Rain, sleet, snow, shine, they're there. Yes. So congratulations, guys. They are there uh, no matter what. Anal intrusion included, they will be there. Yes, and here's <laughs> 10,000 more episodes, lads. Yes. All right, so we're going to take a break. We'll come back with some feedback. We'll be back right after this. Sounds good. All right, now, for all you boppers out there in the big city. All you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special one for Movie Meltdown. That's how we lie a bunch of movie geeks with a show about some crazy movies. And I do mean Movie Meltdown. Here's a hit with them in mind. Come check out Movie Meltdown. News, reviews, and interviews about your favorite thing, movies. $10 for the budget matinee. The budget matinee. (laughs) This is why we don't go to the theater. That's right. Come by and check it out at moviemeltdown.com. I kind of want to be able to mix it up and and tie everything into one big conglomerated mess of movie geekdom. And I don't know if we can. That's what we are. Movie Meltdown. For movie geeks, by movie geeks. Be looking good, movie meltdown. You hear me, babies? Good. Real good. Adios. feedback a little funky this morning there we go <laughs> nothing like the godfather to ring in the christmas season brother yeah merry christmas happy new year i love you <laughs> <laughs> he just puts it all right there on the table right there <laughs> I just love that merry christmas happy new year i love you <laughs> all right <laughs> it's about as loud as i can get this morning i'm just, <laughs> just woke up uh okay so we got some feedback this morning um i'm not sure how much email uh, we got about six or seven voicemails so if we want to get started on the email, we'll get going on it. Um, I would love to, actually. <laughs> and I think the first step in getting started on email, though, certainly would be opening the email. <laughs> and, of course, uh, it's opened my Gmail account for me. So allow me to open our <laughs> Gmail here yes. and see if my uh, my tongue can win a fo- or my internet can win a foot race with my tongue. But I'm losing the battle by the second here. Um, okay. This is a riveting internet radio. Carry the one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay, there we are. <clears throat> nice. Uh, 
Okay, first one is from someone we hadn't heard from in a while, but I was actually wondering uh, where they were. And uh, that's Lena from Sweden. So Lena is writing in Sammy with her highlights from the Stockholm Film Festival. Nice. It says, hi, I want to share my highlights from the Stockholm Film Festival. It was dedicated to David Carradine, but the most I saw was an article about him in the festival catalog that didn't show any of his films. The highlights for me were Sin Nombre, or I guess uh, maybe the the pronunciation, Sin Nombre. I think think that's right, yes. Sin Nombre. Moon and Precious. Sin Nombre is a story set among Mexican gangs and people fleeing from Honduras to the U.S. on top of trains. You are scared by seeing how little human life is worth in both these worlds and the risks all of them are willing to take in hope of a better life. The director, Kerry Fukunaga, talked about the screening or talked after the screening about how he had traveled this immigrant route and met Mexican gang members when preparing to make the film. It does show in the film. It feels so authentic. The British science fiction film Moon is very good, and do try to see it before reading reviews. It can be spoiled so easily. It's a drama, not an action film. Clint Mansell has done the soundtrack. Uh, he, who has done such great music for Darren Aronofsky's films. As trivia, I just got to mention that the director is the son of David Bowie. And I saw Precious and agree with what William said about it. Worth seeing tragic, very good performances. Monique won the Best Actress Award here at the Stockholm Film Festival. As always, love the show. Lena. All right. It's good to hear from Lena. We haven't heard from her in a while, though. So, yeah, so that's really good. Yes, it is. Sin Nombre is actually on the Netflix Instant Watch, I think, here in the States, oddly enough. I don't think I've got around to it yet, though. Oh, interesting. I remember reading about that film when uh, right before it came out and was doing the festival circuit. Um, maybe it was in Variety or something. I can't remember. Uh, but it did look good. Yeah. And she's right and about she's right about Moon. Moon can be spoiled very, very easily. Uh, I'm glad I didn't read any reviews. I actually just watched it this week, Sammy, which I mentioned in the opening of our show, so... Yeah, so you, I, you you could see where you know it could be spoiled. Basically, it could be spoiled in one sentence. One sentence is all it takes, and I couldn't remember if it was Bowie's son. I knew it was some sort of seventies rocker. Um, I thought it was Bowie's, but I couldn't remember. So thanks for clarifying that, Lena. Yes. And I'm glad she backs me up on Precious. Yes, yes, very much so. Let's see here. I'll read the second one here. Give you a little bit of a break. Uh, those of you who can tell that Large William is got a little bit of the cold going on this week. I have a cold. <laughs> A little bit of the cold going on, but I'm gonna go with uh, I'll I'll back and forth it here, uh, like uh, Peter North and uh, Chasey Lane. <laughs> have to make sure we get those kind of comments, and the fans want that kind of stuff, William. <laughs> we haven't been given Tom Byron the love he deserves, though. As you and I talked about off the air, he he of the uh, white ass cheeks but tanned everything else. <laughs> Yes, you really got to be a fan of porn to know what we're talking about there. <laughs> and to appreciate the humor in that uh, <laughs> statement. That, that That is one of those moments where Large William and I realized we are very close in spirit. <laughs> 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 oh, yes. Okay, so this one's from Doc Zom. Uh, he says, Jingle Men. I like that. Uh, Wayne Gretzky is not Canada's greatest athlete. A- athlete. Athlete. Whoops. He's an athlete. <laughs> athlete. Neither is the pretender iron Mike Sharp. Canada's greatest athlete was, was, and forever will be former NWA World Heavyweight Champion Big Thunder Gene Kaninsky. <laughs> uh, also, on a couple of uh, little Mike Sharp notes, uh, my side notes anyway, Mike has, was known for being a compulsive clean freak who would take a shower and use an entire bar of soap in one shower. He would often get locked in the dressing room after everybody left because he showered so long. Also, he was an amateur boxer but met his match one time in the locker room over an 
in-ring spat. Though Mike was a former boxer and a big man, he met his match decisively against Billy Jack Haynes, who beat the living shit out of him. This is Dr. Zom. Zom Oot. P.S. Merry Christmas, boys. You know, that, that's disturbing to think about Mike Sharp as a clean freak for some reason to me because that would be like the worst profession to go into if you were a clean freak. Don't you think so? I would suspect so. You're always going to be rubbing up against other sweaty people and just gymnasiums around. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be good. And I, I just surprised he was a clean freak, quite frankly. That, I thought that leather armband would have smelled like uh, cheese on a oh. hot day. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I bet uh, I bet he did use a whole bar of soap because after a match, I bet he would be in there forever. Because if he had to wrestle somebody like you know, who knows, like uh, Tatanka or somebody, I don't know. Fucking, I can't even remember anymore. I used to be a big wrestling fan, but I just remember these people in, in hindsight now. If he if he had to wrestle someone like Leap and Lanny Poffo, he of the <laughs> frisbee poetry variety. <laughs> nice, that's a, that's a good pull there, man. I remember Leap and Lanny Poffo. That's got to be the lamest, lamest angle in the history of wrestling. The dude used to spell poetry and throw frisbees with it into the audience. I mean, that's fucking lame. That was lame. <laughs> Leaping I do, sorry, I do want to say, Sammy, uh, because this may never come up again, uh, since Zom is a bit of a historian, my father used to get his hair done by the same uh, stylist that used to do Sweet Daddy Siki's hair. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he was in Toronto. He he lived in Toronto for a long time. Uh, he loves it. He still lives here actually today. And and uh, yeah, my dad and him were, were kind of friends. So nice piece of uh, <laughs> trivia. All right. Six degrees oh. of uh, leaving Lenny Poffo or something there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where are we here? Um, Chris, excuse me. Yeah, Chris, who he of the uncool cat dot blogspot.com blog um he'd added a i can't even fucking talk or think this morning i've been up a lot longer than i normally have <laughs> he sent in a uh an entry for the contest that we'd had but inevitably um the contest had ended but he did say that he wanted to clarify that he's not actually a brendan fraser fan as stated in his previous email <laughs> Uh, he says, I actually can't stand the guy. I guess sarcasm really doesn't work in the written form. So don't worry. He had said, because so, he didn't know at this time, he said, so don't worry about my picks being George of the Jungle and Dudley Do-Right. <laughs> uh, yes, Chris. Uh, yeah, sometimes sarcasm doesn't work in the written form. You're right. Sometimes it doesn't. I had hoped in my heart of hearts that you were joking, and I thought you were, but you can never be sure who's going to be an enthusiast about what. Yes, and we have to be careful. We don't want to totally offend somebody. I don't. I don't want to rag somebody. I mean, if you like somebody, you like somebody. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm sure anybody can make an. There's somebody out there that can make an argument. And Brendan Fraser is probably their favorite actor, and that's fun. Yes. Just like uh, I'll just go over this one real quick, um, and then I'll get into the next one. Uh, just like one of my favorite actors is Mark Singer and his Crouch Attack. Crotch attack from uh, from V, which uh, uh, Mike sent us. Uh, we appreciate that. We saw the pick and everything. Love the crotch attack. Very awesome. Oh yes, I meant. To, I don't know why I overlooked that one. Yes, thank you for that, Mike. That's uh, that was fantastic. All right, um, I'll go ahead and do this one from uh, Space Tunes here. This is a uh, uh, Jimmy from uh, Vegas. Uh, he's the one who called in last week. Uh, he said, "Hey guys, want to thank you for airing my call on episode fifty nine concerning cruising." Also want to apologize for firing off major plot spoilers, though, honestly, <clears throat> excuse me, what inspired me to call in in the first place was to delve deeper in discussion on the open-ended ending. 
This is what attracts me to shows like yours in the first place, to finally open up discussion for people who want to discuss topics that never got the chance to be brought up even after the original release 20 to 30 years ago. What can be finally – when can we finally be open about them? Uh, I want to say also for Jimmy's sake, uh, we have no issues with uh, – if callers or people that want to feedback and don't feel bad, if you guys call in and you feel like you uh, – you know, I may have spoiled something or something like that. Don't feel bad. I mean, if people know by now, going into our feedback section, that, that there could be spoilers around. And again, a movie like Cruising that's been around forever. If you know, if you if, if you want to see it, you know, see it. You know, I don't think uh, we don't hold our listeners to uh, the same spoiling type standards that we hold ourselves. That's just the that's just our personal choice. Um, the format. I, of us, oh, what? Go ahead. I'm very sorry. I would do want to interject. It would be appreciated, although not mandatory, that if you are going to spoil something, though, just add a very polite spoiler alert at the beginning yes. of your voicemail or email. This way, in case we're half asleep, which we're known to be at this time of the morning, <laughs> um, this movie won't get spoiled still. That's yes. all. Yes. <laughs> Carry on. That's true. Uh, the format of not spoiling a movie seems so Ebert and Roper and promotionally Hollywood driven. I say, fuck it. If you haven't seen it, hit pause. Go rent it and resume playback. This makes listening so much more communi- communal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I agree. May I suggest reviewing one movie to attract new viewers and one for everyone to watch, then report back to truly discuss? Anyway, besides my armchair quarterback suggestion, I must say I love what you guys do, and I'm an avid listener. I look forward to your shows and appreciate your in-depth discussions on the films others just don't recognize. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, uh, I do know him. Uh, Yeah, I was right. He is the Space Tunes guy on on Twitter. And I, I know I've talked to him a couple times on there, so... Very nice gentleman, very nice gentleman. So, yeah, don't feel bad about it. And uh, yeah, cruising is a movie that I don't care what you. T- <laughs> By the way, this is. I want to tie this into something. Have you seen the list that uh, Doc Zom posted on the boards? I have seen the list, and I think that um, outside of some bathhouse somewhere in North America, a statue, a bronze statue, should be erected of Zom in its honor. He has created what must be the definitive and most comprehensive list of. Hanky wearing, uh, colored hanky wearing uh, in the history of cruising. Yes. And we finally found out what a red hanky means. And uh, yes, it's pretty vicious. And to find out what that means, you can go to our boards, join up there, and get in on the discussion on the colored hankies. You get to see everything from magenta colored hankies to houndstooth uh, printed hankies. Um, yeah, there's all kinds. There's, there's like uh, at least. Like thirty more hankies than I actually saw in the film on that list. So, and he tells you what certainly the left pocket, right pocket means. There, he has more hankies listed than Crayola has crayons. <laughs> yes, it's like a box of sixty-four. And yes, <laughs> the red hanky one was uh, was exact. It was kind of what I thought it might have been. So yeah, yeah. Although I didn't yeah. know there was a difference between insertive uh, or receptive, maybe. <laughs> And maybe a giving. So that's just to give you guys a little teaser. You can check the list out. You go over to popsyndicate.com. Yes, for the, for the, not the teaser, but the pleaser. Oh, yes. Uh, the next one's from another uh, ghost from Christmas past to keep it in the spirit. Someone we haven't heard from in a while. That's Bjornar. And the title is My Dearest Gentleman. Season greetings from Santa's Cold Arse. Oh, it says, hello, Large Willie and the Ricker Eye. I'm going to say that as well. I want to give my congrats to you on the one-year anniversary. You've come a long way, and I've become a big part of my week with glorious movie talk and a true feeling of friendship. I don't want to ramble on here, but please know that through being a GGTMC super fan, I've bought at least 20 movies I would have never even thought about seeing because of your reviews and digressions. 
movies like Stone Cold, Three Iron, Eastern Condors, Stabilizer, The Great Silence, and has already said a lot more. To the point, you two bastards are the dog's bollocks. Congrats, and keep it coming like Peter North on a yogurt day. <laughs> Much love, and have a great Christmas, Pjornar. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pete North on a, uh, the pineapple chunk yogurt day. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> Indeed, watch out. <laughs> Could lose an eye. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I, I'd say we've caused some people to buy some movies uh, or get them in any way, capacity, shape, or form. That's good. That's what That's what. Uh, that's what the goal is. The goal is for everybody to see more movies than just like uh, horror films and whatnot. Yes. It, I'm sorry. Was I interrupting you? No, you were not. Um, yes, it is. That always has been the point. And again, that's something that I know you and I talk about, Sammy. It humbles us. And it's, it's very flattering that, you know, even through things like little digressions, like uh, Bjorn says, or movies we won't re-review, that people spend the money they bust their ass earning to buy movies that we recommend. And that's why, you know, we will never, ever, ever... Um, get in bed with a company that wants us to promote something uh, by blowing smoke up your ass. We will never do that. Correctamundo. All right, the next one is from uh, Weird and Awkward. Um, he says, hey, guys, season greetings. Uh, much late to the party, but I finally got around to seeing Cruising. It was good, though its pacing kind of killed it a bit for me. Uh, and I don't think there's any spores in this email, but if there is, be warned. Uh, it had everything I want out of a movie. And I don't mean all the gay sex. Some of the scenes were so graphically suggestive that they made my penis invert. Uh, but the third quarter or so was just slow and pretty forgettable. Al Pacino was great in it, though I didn't need to see his gross pale ass when he was hogtied. <laughs> what the fuck was with the black guy in the cowboy hat and jockstrap at the cop station? It was like <laughs> it was like each scene had to fill a gay quota, and that one and this one was lacking. So they randomly threw him in there. Despite all this, the atmosphere was awesome. And the kills were nice. I love the soundtrack, too. Uh, I was wondering if you guys have seen the, an anime called Perfect Blue. I'm not interested in anime at all, but last weekend my local art house theater was showing it double billed with Akira. And I couldn't pass up seeing Akira on the silver screen. Much to my delight, Perfect Blue turned out to be awesome, too. It's like if David Lynch made an animated giallo set in Japan. Hmm. It's about a young singer who quits her pop group to pursue a career as an actress. In an attempt to gain more exposure, she stars in rape scenes and nude photo shoots, portraying her wholesome pop image. Her reality breaks down as she is haunted by her past ego, as well as a horse-faced obsessed fan, <laughs> and she descends into a dream-fueled madness. People around her are being viciously murdered one by one. Unfortunately, because this film is animated, it doesn't really reach the audience that would most enjoy it, so it's destined to be a gem that left mostly undiscovered. It's a mature, slow-bowling, beautiful, surrealist thriller, and I think it would be perfect for the show. Last week's episode, the topic of unfortunate names was brought up. While Dump is definitely an awful name, there is a Turkish movie called... Ooh, this is going to be tough. Yilmiyan Saiten. Maybe, is that you think that's right? Yilmiyan Saiten? Uh, Yilmiyan Saiten sounds good to me, brother. <laughs> yeah. Which has a character called Copperhead. While, it's not, that's not, while that's not a particularly bad name at all, the actor who plays Copperhead is named Kunt Tolgar. Now that's an unfortunate name. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys have the best Christmas ever. While you guys will, will be rugging up inside away from the cold, I'll be sweating my tits off. And unsticking my balls from my thighs. <laughs> Best wishes for you and your families. Weird and awkward. <laughs> All right. Yes. That's Cunt, awesome. Cunt Tolgar. That Cunt is un- Tolgar. That's unfortunate. That really is. And I'm not going to jump into it now, but that <laughs> the mentioning of the name Cunt Tolgar is an awesome segue into the next email. 
<laughs> and you'll, you'll all get that in a moment. Yes. Uh, I do want to thank Mr. Awkward for um, the email. And I've actually literally just added Perfect Blue to the top of my uh, zip list queue. It's, um, yeah, I don't think me and you have ever talked about anime or anime or anime or whatever you want to call it, how you want to call it. I don't think we've ever really talked about it on the show. And I don't think I've ever really asked you. You a fan? Here's the thing. I'm a fan. Um, but not to the point where I'm going to dress up as like a warrior princess in a thong with a cardboard sword that's seven feet long. I think that our fans would probably like to see a picture of that, though. Um, <laughs> my wife would not like to see a picture of that, though. As much as she's very liberal and uh, free-thinking, um, I'm not sure that that would be in the cards. Uh, nice. But, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I like all the real seminal films. Um, yeah. I like Paprika most recently. Um you know, Akira, all the stuff that's the, you know, the very obvious ones. Well, and, you know what? This Perfect Blue one might be a good one to jump into for the show. Yeah, it's, it's like any genre of films. There's a ton to get through to find the gems. So, uh, yeah, anybody who can suggest gems for us, we're totally down with. We might uh, we might get around to it at some point. That's something we never covered, and that it's not outside of a realm of something that we would cover, though. No, it's not. I know, I, you know, I've been taught, I've been, you know, you know this, Sammy. I've been sort of mulling over doing Coonskin, the rough back. She... Uh, animated film for a while, but Perfect Blue is it sounds like a good choice. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ninja Scroll, so yep. yeah, I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Yep, sounds like it. Um, and the next one is an email that I had sent. Oh, when are we? When do you want to mention um, uh, Gregory's? Um, well, we can mention that Greg won. Yeah, Greg won the contest. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to be doing. Uh, we'll probably won't do the show until I would say. Uh, first week of the year, so not next week, but the week after, we'll announce what he wants us to cover. So next, okay. week, next week we pretty much got sealed up, but the week after that we can do what, uh, his films. And I have both of those films now. Yes, nice. So yeah, and I, sure and you... I will have both those films shortly. Yes. <laughs> uh, some very inspired choices. But the next email is, uh, we talked about Cunt Talgar. The next email is one that our good friend Aaron Duenas, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Aaron, um, he of deathrattle13.blogspot.com posted just sort of innocently on his Facebook page. It was like a status update that I saw that sounded too good to pass up. And that was the instruction, go to YouTube, type cunt smasher into YouTube and watch the first video uh, that comes up. Now, did you do this, Sammy, since I posted the link in our thing? Um, I did not. Is, is this got good audio? Maybe I'll play it on the air. It. The audio is not the important part of the video, but I would love to hear you play at least a moment of it on the air to get your reaction. All right, well, hang on. Let me uh, let me cue it up here. Uh, just kill some time there while I cue it up. Yes, Aaron, this absolutely made my day. I'll give you all sort of a, a visual. I, I implore you all to look this up on YouTube. Um, and this man would be sort of the, if uh, Rob Halford and John Michael Thor and uh, Road Warrior Hawk had a love child, a three-way love child, um, with better hair and the skill of Raphael, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, with size, um, this is the man that you would have. It's already quite enticing with those uh, those gentlemen all attached together in a yogurt milkshake of some sort. Yes. <laughs> uh, taking a second to pull it up here, but uh, hang on. I think it's well, it's not going to take you more than a second to pull it out when you see this one. <laughs> uh, I kind of hope so, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, get the, uh, let's see here. Okay, let me uh, log on to the email. Of course, whenever you want to do something like this live on the air is when you realize that your uh, your internet connection is uh, going to play games with you. 
It's a capricious God toying with us. <laughs> yes. Moment. Always moments. messing with me. It'll be here shortly. Uh, Cunt Smasher, though. That's uh, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at this video at all, so I have no idea. But uh, judging by what you just said, it sounds like this guy might be a wannabe. I'm just going to guess this and see if I'm right. A wannabe either uh, rock star, maybe, or a wannabe wrestler of some sort? Neither. No. Okay. Now I'm even more interested. <laughs> All right, I got the, the emails coming up. No, this was a clip from the uh, the long dead Geraldo Rivera talk show. Oh yes, one of my favorites growing up. Yeah, good old Geraldo. I remember when he got that black eye. He started to have the clan on, and a yeah. few of his shows got yeah. so out of hand that he had to do like a a recorded bit uh, to show before the show with him with like a fat lip and a black eye. It was fantastic. He was such a sleaze maven. Yes. He was. He was one of the first. No, he was. Let's see here. I think it's... uh Okay. There we go. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> My first reaction is, whoa. Hang on. What the hell? What the fuck? Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so I didn't expect him to have size. <laughs> that was not what I expected at all. And he calls himself Cunt Smasher. Wouldn't you if you looked like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, what else could you call yourself? Oh, fuck. Okay, that's enough Cunt Smasher. <laughs> That is a YouTube classic. <laughs> Cunt Smasher is my new hero. <laughs> yes. People definitely need to check out Cunt Smasher. <laughs> Whoa. That is not something I expected to see. It's like it's like an effeminate John Michael Thor with Chinese, some kind of weird weapons. I don't even yeah. know what's going on there. He's got size and he's doing a strip routine on Geraldo for all the ladies in the audience. And he's got a, a better main than John Michael Thor. It's just... It's it's such a oh man. The problem is that the ladies don't look like they're digging it much. <laughs> no, they, we seem to dig it more than the audience did twenty five years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we have we have the benefit of hindsight and uh, cheesiness there to go with it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, ooh man. Yeah, the cunt smasher is an interesting gentleman there. <laughs> need, to, need to get that guy on the show. We do, man. I got to track down the cunt, the old Mister Smash. Oh, oh, we man. have to be the only podcast that covers dudes named Cunt. We got Cunt Tolgar, Cunt Smasher, and Kurt the Cunt. You got Kurt the Cunt? <laughs> yes. Now, with this being said, since we've had this little segment with the Cunt Smasher, um, well, Sammy sort of getting to see what the Cunt Smasher is all about, um, I want all of you to look up the Cunt Smasher and send in your thoughts, uh, preferably a Marv Albert style play-by-play, if yeah. you will. Yeah, let's hear some thoughts on the Cunt Smasher. Some, some of our listeners are going to really adore that video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, wow. And his hair. Just let me say that. Wow. It looked like He looked like somebody out of uh, almost like Raiders of Atlantis with his costume. And uh, maybe like Future Kill, like that one movie we've uh, talked about before. Those oh, kind of yes. weird new wave post-apocalyptic movies. That's what he looked like. Yep. Uh, and I, yep. I swear, I think he had blush on. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's it for email, right? Yes, it is. All right, so we're going to do some voicemails. So let me queue up some voicemails here. Let's see what we got going on. 
One second. Should be one kicking in any second here. There we go. Well, Samarik and William, and mostly for this commentary, also Miles, this will be Metal Mike calling in once more to share some thoughts. Of course, this will not be the last you hear from me this week because I have yet to hear the Dolph and Mario episode, and that will still put me behind. Oh, well. But let me get on with my thoughts already. So first off, for that particular episode, the Far Cries to the Bowl, Dr. J, my man, you had an excellent music selection to send to the crew. My question is this. Is it indeed an actual entire album of spaghetti western-style Christmas songs? If so, oh, just pass on the information. I am dying to hear more of this. <laughs> Second, it was a pleasant double shot for the Samurai Miles tag team since we already had them sharing the limelight on an episode of Show Show. And I believe it was brought up, yes, both by Miles and Samurai, that their thoughts on Terminator Salvation. I kind of already said it on my own show, Action Attraction. Ding! <laughs> but... I honestly think it wasn't a bad movie. It was just really kind of mediocre and middling for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't really blow me away. Yeah. Honestly, if I could say that Terminator 3 was more exciting, then that's kind of a sad thing to say. Hmm. And both of your thoughts on Uwe Boll in general as a director, I had to pretty much unilaterally, or, yeah, unilaterally agree with. I mean, he is probably one of our primary really good exploitation directors we have available. People can say what they want about his movies. I, for one, still insist that Tunnel Rats may be the best thing that I've seen so far that he's made. And Dungeon Siege is an inspired piece of lunacy. You have to see it, Samarik. Really, you will enjoy it. But, you know, there's something to be said about his movies. They're fun. They're not really boring. I can't find too much fault in that as a director. And honestly, if I were to ever run across Uwe Boll, I'd actually just say congratulations. Thank you for giving me so much entertainment. And I would not be sarcastic in the least. Oh, yeah. And speaking of Tunnel Rats, thanks again for the plug, (laughs) Samarik. My heart just fluttered a bit. (laughs) And my last note here, I'm still probably going to check out Far Cry because, yeah, I, I haven't said enough about Tunnel Rats, but actually my DVD copy of Tunnel Rats opened up with a preview of Far Cry, and I saw it, I'm like, this looks actually really sweet. And I don't know, it sounded like mostly it was fair to middling in terms of yours and Miles' perspectives, but I'm still probably going to give it a shot. So... Yeah, that's pretty much all i got to say right now. And from the looks of things so far, possibly the next episode, thanks to popular vote, I may still put it up tonight on Twitter, it looks like it may be robot jocks for me. <laughs> so expect lots of nice. white spandex Gary Daniels <laughs> coming up soon. Nice. I'm sure the gentlemen are just oozing <laughs> with excitement from that. Easy. <laughs> anyway, y'all take it easy, and I will talk to you again real soon. All right, take care. Bye.
All right, good old Middle Mikey from Action Attraction. You can check out his show, Action Attraction. Uh, I believe .podomatic.com or something like that, but uh, definitely check it out. Um, yeah, again, I want to thank Miles. Uh, Miles is always, I call him the substitute extraordinaire. Uh, Miles is always down for uh, reviewing some films whenever anybody uh, needs a fill-in, and uh, we re- I really appreciate that. He's filled in a couple times now, once for me, once for uh, William. Um, he's really fantastic about that and uh, taking his time and just kind of, you know, throwing a review together really quick. So, again, I want to thank him. I know I thanked him enough, but you can never thank the Milius enough. He is a, this is true. a very kind and nice gentleman. Um, <clears throat> and, again, on Far Cry, it might be middling, but it is fun. So uh, it, it is a very fun uh, time waster. Very good little, just a little B-movie. And it's just really great to see Till Schweiger in a uh, starring role because I just don't think you'll see that happen too often. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my thoughts on Salvation. I mean, again, I think I said on the show, uh, I don't think I really talked to you. But, I mean, I enjoyed it. It wasn't it wasn't awful or anything. It just, it, well, it wasn't fantastic either. It was just kind of very, you know, probably a little bit above average. It wasn't, it wasn't awful. It wasn't as bad as everybody said it was. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's about a six, six and a half for me. Totally agree with you. I think six was the first number that came to mind. All right. So, uh, next voicemail. We'll keep on rocking and rolling here. Hey, gents. Rupert calling. Um, just wanted to say to Will, uh, I think it's awesome that you're uh, hunkering down and going through the uh, classic films. That's really cool. I'm a huge fan of Rio Bravo. Um, I guess I can't disagree with the cheesy couple of scenes, but I think it's a fantastic film. It's in my top five all time. Um, and then Casablanca and Double Indemnity both. You know, great stuff. I remember when I saw those, I think, Double Indemnity I saw in college at some point, and I immediately wanted to show my whole family, and just got on this kick of showing them all these Billy Wilder movies, like The Apartment and uh, Sunset Boulevard, um, which I like a lot. Anyway, always curious to hear your your take on the classic films. I'm glad you're digging them. Um, And I have to say, in all seriousness, um... I would really love a GGTMC t-shirt. I know that that's a costly undertaking. Um, but uh, the Henry Silva shirt, um, <laughs> I would wear in, an, in a heartbeat. Yes. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, big t-shirt uh, collector type. So please, please, uh, if there's anything <laughs> that can be done from the listeners, if you need listener support, um, I'm behind that 100%. Um, okay, uh, bye. Sounds to me like in that voicemail that uh, old Roop just woke up. <laughs> I hope it was that he just woke up because I didn't know if it was that or maybe he was a little bummed out or <laughs> hopefully it's that he's rubbing the sleep from his eyes. and Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, he's, yeah, hopefully he's rubbing the sleep and not rubbing his unit. <laughs> why, yes. <laughs> well, I don't need him doing that when he calls in. Please don't do that. No. Uh, <laughs> save that for after you listen to the show or during, but just don't call in and do it, please. <laughs> now, uh, any shirt that would have Henry Silva on it is a shirt that I would wear every day until it smelled of onions and old bologna. <laughs> <laughs> Which in some way, in that aspect, I feel like Henry Silva might smell like that sometimes. <laughs> yes, that and maybe Old Spice. Yes. When, when I think about Cry of a Prostitute, I think about that uh, sweaty Silva walking around. I think, man, uh, I don't know how he got any chicks or anything because he had to have st- he wore the same shirt. <laughs> the whole movie so and he constantly oh, had pit stains in it so pit stains he had uh shoulder to torso stains 
It was obviously hot. <laughs> it, yes, it absolutely was. No, you know, uh, Rube, thanks for that. I, we are going to work, try and work something out. Um, anyone who, actually, I'll throw this out there now, Sammy, anyone who has artistic ability that, um, you know, they potentially would want to give us some assistance um, in designing something like this, uh, let us know. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go, but at least if we know, you know, that there's creative people willing to help us because I don't think, uh, well, I know I can't draw so much as a circle or a line, Sammy. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, no, even my stick men are pathetic. As are mine. So I think we'd need to uh, employ the help of uh, one of our listeners. Yes. I think that uh, it's a new world for us. Uh, it's a world that like Bill and them from OTC and, uh, and some of these other shows, they've they've been into and stuff. But uh, it's just something we've kind of just kind of kicked about like a soccer ball. And we haven't really... Uh, haven't really made up our mind what we're going to do with it. So we're not going to make any promises, but uh, we are going to tell the listeners that we are looking into it anyway. So, Yeah, and I mean, you know, like you said and I said and Roop just said, it's just a matter of the appeal is very strong to me of being able to wear Henry Silva's face proudly. <laughs> yes, Mr. Silva, the one and only. He will come up again on the show, I promise you. His films keep popping up on my roadmap. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking for one now with a beard. The silver with a beard is awesome. Megaforce. Yes. Yes, right. Megaforce is definitely on my roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next voicemail. Hey, what's up, guys? The back of Force Wicker's neck. Uh, last week's show, Willie brought the movie Original Gangsters, and I kind of feel the same way that Willie does about it. I'm not the biggest fan about it, but what kills me about that film is the original concept behind it was supposed to be Pretty much that epic cast that 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 uh, he mentioned last week: uh, Pam Grier, Richard Roundtree, Fred Hamm, Williamson. They were all supposed to represent, as in the title of the movie, you know, the old school, the the you know, the original gangsters. And they were supposed to be facing off against like Ice T, Ice Cube, you know, the the new gangsters in L.A. And pretty much that whole group from Trespass they were supposed to be going up against. Uh, yeah, Trespass, another good fucking movie. Anyway, um, nice. and I don't know what happened, and it came. The movie came out like that, and it kind of disappoints me because uh, at the time, you know, I was big fans of all those guys and those rappers, and it would have been really interesting to see. But unfortunately, we didn't get that. The only thing I can imagine is maybe those guys didn't want to be portray as bad guys. Ice T and Ice Cube, they were probably up and coming in film at that time. Uh, but anyway, what it could have been. Uh, and one more quick thing. You guys talked about Al Pacino last week, uh, team roles like Insomnia and Carlito's Way. I think another cool one was uh, Donnie Brasco. He's very tame and yeah. very low-key in that film. Like, you really feel bad for him. That's and a good one. Especially, I like the fact that he's in this little crew with uh, Michael Madsen and James Russo playing the heavies, which you rarely see. And, you know, him being a schlep to those guys... I don't know. I think that's a really, I don't know, really underrated movie. And I'm just, I love seeing Michael Madsen and James Russo pop up in big movies, you know. Especially, you know, James Russo popped up as a book salesman in uh, The Ninth Gate. You know, I even bought it. I didn't give a shit yet. James Russo, I sell books. Yes. Fucking awesome. Nice. <laughs> um, anyway, fantastic show last week or two weeks ago with the Far Cry episode, Samurai Miles. That could have been, like, recorded and aired on Bravo. It was fucking really cool. <laughs> And Willie, you're just always fucking cool, man. <laughs> fucking so cool. You shit ice cubes. Yes. Metal. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Good old Neck. I always like. I always know it's one of his voicemails because I always title him Neck. So you know, because back of Force Workers Neck's a lot to type, and I'm lazy. 
That's that's the world I've come to now. That typing that name is is long and hard. So I, uh, oops, I didn't mean to say long and hard. That might come off as kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Donnie Brasco. I don't know how you feel about the film, but I know. Uh, I mean, I like the film, but I think uh, him and uh, Johnny Depp in that movie, Pacino and Johnny Depp, fantastic together. Yes, I completely agree with you. And it is another Pacino performance we overlooked. The sad thing is that's ten plus years ago. Yes, um, yes, or or ten ish years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's uh, the thing. That's the thing. I mean, his his he's almost like an older version of Nicolas Cage. There's little gems in between, in betwixt all the junk. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Um, I was just thinking about original gangsters. I I think the the problem too, Nick, is that the villains just you know they look very. Uh, unthreatening non-threatening and to go up against sort of legends of the genre mm-hmm. sort of anticlimactic it was like peter mcneely versus tyson i mean yeah you gotta have if you're gonna have heavy cinematic heroes you gotta have heavy cinematic villains it's as simple ice, as that ice cube and ice t would have been perfect for that yes it's true uh also he said uh james russo he loved james. i love james russo as well he actually pops up in public enemies as well in like the first five or ten minutes of that so look for that nick you'll see some more russo all right, and Merry Christmas to you, Mister Neck. Yes, Merry Christmas out there, and uh, I think he's in Cali, so there'll be a lot of snow, I'm sure. <laughs> I thought he was in the East Coast, or was no. he originally he's, from the? East he's Coast? from the East Coast, but I think he lives out in the West Coast. Ah, yes. So because he's out there by miles. So uh, although uh, for those of you who've never been to California, because somebody lives in Los Angeles and somebody else lives near Los Angeles, doesn't mean they're anywhere near each other. Because fucking California is like it's like Texas in some aspects. <laughs> I mean, you know, just because you live in one city and the next city over a friend might live there doesn't mean it's not going to be a whole day's trip to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Uh, okay, uh, next voicemail. What up, gentlemen? This is Josh from VariedCellular.net. I wrote in a couple of weeks back about Takashi Miike and stuff like that. Anyway, I just wanted to leave a voicemail and say that I heard your review of Cruising a little while back. That's a movie I'd been putting off for quite a while now and uh, once I heard you guys talking about it I had to go check it out ended up I really liked it a lot Um, I think it's one of Pacino's uh, more toned down roles and really it makes it one of his best you know I think he did a really good job with it aside from Pacino I really like the whole cast and really I just like I like those New York movies, you know, those movies where the city becomes a character and where, you know, the streets are dirty and, the, you know, everybody in it's pretty much vile, you know. I really like a, a lot of those older gritty movies and urban or, you know, crime-centered movies. And uh, it got me thinking about Sidney Lumet's uh, Prince of the City from 1981. Just wanted to know if maybe you guys had seen it and uh, what you thought about it. Me, I'm a really big fan of the movie. I think it's one of uh, Lumet's best, and I think uh, Treat Williams really puts in, you know, a heck of a performance in it. He's really great. The basic gist of the story is that uh, Treat Williams plays a narcotics officer who has kind of a change of heart on the issue of take-backs and stuff like that, and and all of his partners are all kind of, you know not so good cops you know so he uh ends up wearing a wire and pretty much uh, working for this commission who are you know looking to stop you know crime within the division and stuff 
And it's basically treat Williams having a panic attack for 90 minutes, but he's just, he's really great in it. <laughs> you also get Jerry Orbach in a real Law & Order type role, you know, pre-Law & Order. Nice. It really puts forth a lot of really interesting questions, like, you know, what comes first, doing the right thing, or, you know, loyalty, and, you know, what separates us, the good guys, from them, the bad guys, when we're sitting there doing the exact same thing. It's just a really interesting little flick, and and I'd like to see what you guys thought about it. Anyway, I'm just a real big fan of the show, and really dig listening to you guys. Thanks. All right, it was Josh from Very Celluloid. Uh, Very Celluloid. It was hard to say for me for some reason. Uh, he had uh, joked around about sending that uh, in his email about uh, having the Louisiana accent. Uh, don't feel bad, buddy. I mean, I'm from Kentucky, and you'll hear it squeak out of me every now and then. I only. <laughs> I only try to hide it, but we shouldn't hide that uh, proud southern accent. Brother, we should always just kind of say it and live with it. I, no. You there, William? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just was letting you roll with it, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm firmly behind you on never hiding whatever your accent is, whether it's Canadian, Lithuanian, or somewhere in the south. Uh, yes. Wear that proud. That's that's where you're from. He's a very nice gentleman. I uh, talked to him quite a bit on the Twitter and whatnot. Uh, yeah, Prince of the City. Have you ever seen Prince of the City? I never have. I'm familiar with it, and I'm certainly familiar with Treat Williams. I'm a big fan of Dead Heat, uh, yeah. as I'm sure most of nice. us are. I think Treat, Will- <laughs> Treat Williams, to me, always reminds me of William Devane, a guy who was pretty solid but seemed to not do enough um, high-end films uh, to really make his mark. Yeah, no, he's, he's got some. He's got some good stuff, and uh, you know, he's got some bad stuff. But he seems to be seems to be mostly cast nowadays as like the husband, or you know, like the. The father or something like that, you know, kind of like Devane, like you said. I mean, because Devane ended up being always cast as what, like the politician or or the father or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, Prince of the City is pretty good. I've only seen it once. I watched it on cable a long, long, long fucking time ago, and uh, I haven't seen it again. I think I need to revisit that because uh, I know it's got uh, quite the following. So, and again, I I don't think it's any surprise. Large William and I love uh, New York movies, uh, especially from that era of the. Uh, 70s and early 80s when it was really just a uh, quote-unquote cesspool <laughs> it was a cesspool but i mean that was a time too not just the aspect of the sort of quote-unquote 42nd street uh aesthetic but just the city itself with all the brown stones uh, you know architecture was more distinct than nowadays it's yes. sort of this cookie cutter plastic mentality mm-hmm. with everything looking the same whereas then there was a more eclectic, eccentric mix, like I said, with the brownstones and other buildings that really gave it a, a uniquely New York feel. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, people like Woody Allen and um, uh, Martin Scorsese and people like that really kind of brought New York to the forefront of a place to shoot movies and stuff. And of course, now you're right. Nowadays, when they shoot movies in New York, it always looks like this. Uh, you know, everything kind of looks very inviting, which is fine for the city of New York and stuff. But I do miss sometimes the the kind of characteristics of the old New York. Uh, okay, so next voicemail. I don't know why, but there is no Sammy. Where is the Sammy? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I feel funny leaving this message and not hearing the GGTMC <laughs> me, um, message. Um, greeting. Anyway, um, this is Valencia. I'm calling because um, I, by, by the goodness of his heart, Piccolo sent me Roadhouse on DVD. I love him for that. Um, I saw last week um, Point Break. I didn't like Patrick Wayne. He wasn't sexy enough for me as a surfer. But I, I'm way behind on my GGTMC. 
And um, but I still love y'all always. <laughs> but yeah, I I just want to let you know. I realize looking back um at um the Wikipedia, there are more Patrick Swayze movies I've seen. But yeah, as far as that earlier stuff, not so much. But yeah, I just want to say thank you to Piccolo. I, I should know your name, but um. Right now, I can't think of it. And um, love you guys. And, yeah. Oh, oh, Point Break was pretty good, though. All right. Bye. Yeah, she, she didn't think the Bodie was uh, hot enough. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the pickle loaf. Yeah, I had actually seen this thing uh, kind of transpiring on Twitter that he uh, offered up his copy of Roadhouse to her, which is very nice. Of the, As we know, the, the loaf is a gentleman. In the truest sense of the word. Yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Very nice. Very, very, very nice guy. So, uh, all right. Uh, not really a whole lot more to add, but it is good to hear from Valencia again. We hadn't heard from her in a while. So, Another one I was wondering about. I thought our females were dropping off with all the sort of macho, heavy leather talk. But thankfully, they're still here. And uh, Valencia, again, um, you know, happy holidays. And uh, it was good to hear from you. Yes. Happy holidays. Next voicemail. This one uh, is interesting. So, check this out. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yellow hanky, left pocket. (laughs) Sounds like there might be a little blockage toward the back end there. Too much salt in his diet. I want to get that checked out. All right. We'll just keep going to the next voicemail. (laughs) Here we go. Gentlemen... Good doctor, Dr. Zom, master of hypnosis, <laughs> and with a very weak bladder tonight. Uh, anyway, um, whew, had to get that out of my system before I called uh, because thanks uh, for sharing. It's been a real, real um, manic phone call. So anyway, now I'm uh, pretty cool. Okay, uh, what I wanted to uh, throw out there, uh, I was watching uh, Ryan Gosling in um, Fracture with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie, and uh, I like uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, Liked him in that. Uh, Really liked him in uh, True Believer. Um... And because I liked him, and I heard heard so much about uh, Half Nelson, I uh, watched that, and um, you know, it, it got a lot of hype, and it, 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 the people really talked it up and everything. But uh, I don't know; it just didn't set the world on fire for me. But I still think he's a uh, he's a good actor, uh, and he was in that one movie, and I don't even know what the hell you know it was even fucking called with Sandra Bullock, and um, you know, I don't know some fucking chimp of the tactor, a monkey of the tactor, and it was like a Leopold and Loeb thing where he and, him and this ugly dude were, uh, you know, the smart kids that were planning the perfect murder and she was a cop, blah, blah, blah. I don't even care because he was probably good in it, uh, but, um, and the one guy that had the real big red lips, he was in that movie where the two weirdos attack uh, or uh, fuck with Tim Roth and Naomi Watts' family. And uh, he's a weird-looking motherfucker. And in that movie, they actually got another weird-looking motherfucker to be with him 
says the guys that torment the family. Can't even remember what that one was fucking called, but it was weird as shit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Ryan Gosling, um, uh, because it's Christmas, um, Dr. Zom wanted to uh, get your opinion on uh, skinhead movies. Um, True Believer with Ryan Gosling. American History X with uh, Ed Norton, uh, who was the uh, inferior Bruce Banner uh, in uh, you know, the second Hulk movie, which wasn't as good as the great Hulk movie, <laughs> even with the fighting dogs. And uh, Romper Stomper with Russell Crowe. Uh, that's three right there, and I just wanted to see, get your opinions on those, and uh, which one maybe you thought was better. Uh, to wrap it up, uh, I had uh, watched The Conformist, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci. Um, nice. I had bought this movie a while back because I had read about it just a little bit, bought it, uh, had not even taken it out of the wrapper, it set and set and set. I finally took it out, and after watching it, I was like, holy fuck, I cannot believe. I wish I would have watched it. I wish I would have watched it a long time ago. It's a fucking great movie. Uh, exceptional, exceptional movie. It is a work of art. It is a great, great movie. I'm not going to say much more about it because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, and just to, we were, you know, you guys were talking about a little pro wrestling um <laughs> last week and i'm sitting here watching uh bobo brazil nice. going up against yukon moose cholock in a <laughs> black and white dumont network match at 5 30 in the fucking morning because i stayed up all night because it's a blizzard out and i uh didn't have to work nice. but just to add a little pro wrestling baby I'm going to throw out a little quote that reminds me of Lodge William and the Samurai. And the quote goes something like this, baby. Ole Anderson, laying down, could not take me out with the steel toe boot. Could not put me away with the steel toe boot. And I'm going to say it right now and get it through your head. Until you have a broken back. Until you have a broken neck. Until your bodies are beaten and broken. Both of you, this thing will never be over. I would say my hunches, my wrestling my wrestling knowledge is kind of waning in my older years, but I would say that was maybe a Dusty Rhodes impersonation. That would be a very good guess. That's where I was going to. Um, the American Dream? The American Dream. I think I think it might have been right there. Uh I love these guys. I love these guys. We have these listeners that are big wrestling fans. I mean, I was such a huge wrestling fan growing up, and even into well into my twenties. So I don't even. Uh, I'm not going to deny it. I only really quit watching it in like the last seven to eight years. Really, I, I probably watched it all the way up until I was about twenty seven, twenty eight. So, I think I was around um, the same time ago that I stopped watching it. Uh, yeah, I was a huge fan, and it is awesome to sort of you know because I'm sure you know one of the reasons we dig this talk so much is it just brings back so much uh, mm -hmm. nostalgia from our youth you know yeah. uh, the sort of hero worship and well and the great thing about wrestling was is the characters uh, and it's very basic plot elements I mean everybody's black and white and and uh, I always love I, I love the wrestlers that were characters Dusty Rhodes is a great example if that in fact was a Dusty Rhodes impersonation uh, not the uh, most well built man in the history of wrestling no uh, <laughs> but a character in the least, uh, maybe one of the, the all-time characters in wrestling. Uh, definitely. Love to listen to well, that guy talk. He could do an interview like uh, nobody's business. 
Well, I think the thing of it is now that I think about it, and I never really thought of this before, uh, his physique <laughs> or lack thereof looking like, really like an overst- overstuffed um, garbage bag. <laughs> um, he really is the American dream that this, this you know, rather obese man yes. uh, through hard work and, and dedication could rise up to the upper echelon of his respected profession. So yes. I don't know, maybe that's where he got his name. I don't know, but yeah. I'm sure Lo for Zom or Aaron or someone knows. <laughs> could, yeah, could be. Uh, okay, so uh, one other thing Zom said that we want to tackle here real quick, uh, skinhead films. Let's see what you think. Uh, True Believer, have you seen that one? Uh, it's the actually it's the believer. Sorry, Sammy. Just in case oh, yeah. anyone wanted to look it up, look it up. Uh, I have seen all three of those films. True Believer uh, would be a James Woods, Robert Downey Jr. film, or is that also the Believers? <laughs> I think that's True Believer. The Believers is a Martin Sheen film. With- that's what I'm mixing it up with. The <laughs> Martin Sheen based on a Dean Koontz novel, I believe. Uh, no pun intended. Yes. Um, okay, so I digress. Uh, I think Robert Stomper is decent. It's more interesting to look at uh, because it's an early film of Crow. Who's become um, an A-lister? Yeah, he's, um, he's really good in that movie. The movie's not so great, but he's really fantastic in it. Yes, agreed. American History X, I think it's a very good film, mm-hmm. um, but I like The Believer the best of the three because I think the the very torn, conflicted um, performance by one of Canada's finest, Ryan Gosling, yes. uh, is excellent, and I love the ending of that film. Yes, of the three films, I'm going to have to go with The Believer as well. Uh, I like American History X uh, for what it is, uh, and it's got some pretty good performances in it. It's got some bad performances as well. But The Believer is definitely, of those three, The Believer is the best film. Yeah, no doubt. And I also agree with him that Half Nelson, while being good, was nowhere near the you know amazing film that everyone made it out to be. Again, he was good in it, but Shriek Epps was also good, but it wasn't this sort of earth-shattering film. Yes. Yes. Uh I agree. I've seen Half Nelson and I'm going to agree with both what you guys said. I think uh the acting is exceptional, the film is just pretty it's pretty good. It's not great. Yeah. All right. I think this is our last voicemail. I think it's Doc Zom again. And you know what? Since it's almost Christmas, I'm going to go for a little GGTMC Christmas Carol straight from uh, the Odessa file with John Voigt, and it goes a little something like this. Uh-oh. Watch me now, here I go, all I need is a little snow. Starts me off, sets the theme, helps me dream my Christmas dream. Every year I dream it, hoping things will change. And end to the crying, the shouting, the dying. And I hope you will dream it too. It's Christmas, remember, we've got to remember. So light the light, I'm home tonight. I need you to warm me, to calm me, to love me, to help me, to dream my Christmas dream. Merry Christmas, gentlemen, and to all the GGTMC family out there, Merry Christmas and Happy Happy New Year! <laughs> Good old Doc Zom there, uh, wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. Such a such a gentleman. Love the uh, love the vocal stylings of the Doc Zom. As do I. Such a wonderful addition to the uh, the family of, of GGTMC. Uh, I wonder, you know, Sammy, I think he may eat a lot of cabbage or, or Brussels sprouts. He's always farting, farting or burping or. <laughs> 
Well, if in fact, yeah, well, yeah, they would be cabbage and Brussels sprouts. Yes, uh, any kind of greens, bacon, West Virginia. Um, uh, if so, yeah, I'd hate to be in the room because, uh, yeah, that would be kind of funky. <laughs> but you know, hey, you know, gas is uh, is a natural thing. Everybody gets it. Everybody has it. Yes. <laughs> of course, if you eat a lot of cabbage and Brussels sprouts, you'll have it a little bit more often than other people. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yes, good old dog Zom. All right, so that is all of our feedback for this week. Uh, I guess we can roll into our uh, thank yous and whatnot. I'll kick it back over to you, Lodge William. Okay, now I have revised the list, so it should be a little more legible. And I do want to apologize. I seem to have left Metal Mikey's uh, wonderful action attraction off uh, more often I think, than not. I think we, uh, we, we, we constantly are editing this list, so it's no big deal. Yeah. Okay, so, as always, check out our sister show, OTC. Do we know what they're covering next week? Are they covering 20 movies or something? Uh, yeah, they're doing something. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention that after the first break of the show. You guys probably heard that on the first break of the show. Uh, but, again, yeah, definitely check them out. Okay. Uh, and also, check out the always great crew from Long Beach uh, show show. <laughs> Uh, N-O-T-L-P. In fact, as always, check out all the Pop Syndicate shows, including Family Movie Night, First Time Caller, Movie Meltdown, uh, right in Sammy's own backyard. Um, you know, all the shows, really. Uh, check out Chinsuroka vs. Punter and Cinerama from across the pond, as they say. Check out Better in the Dark out of New York City. Check out Action Attraction, the metal one's own take on the action genre. <laughs> Blogs, of course, we have... Mr. Hans is this is quiet cool dot blogspot dot com. Deadly Dolls House dot blogspot.com. Chuck Norris ate my baby dot blogspot dot com is Matthew Suzaka's blog. We have the loaf uh, with pickle loaf dot blogspot dot com. Lightning Bugs Lair dot uh, com. Naked Eskimo dot blogspot dot com. Heavens Trash. And of course, that's Heavens with a Z. Trash. Dot blogspot.com and the aforementioned death rattle 13 dot blogspot.com nice. uh, finally cinema-de-bizarre for all your hard to find genre needs uh, my pick next week which I'll mention shortly will be available on there don't forget to put in 10% well don't forget to put in gentlemen for 10% off your orders <laughs> vote for us on podcast alley I want us to get a nice push here for Christmas please do it um Although we'll, this will probably get up Christmas Eve, so I don't know how much feedback we're going to get. Uh, iTunes reviews, friend us both on Facebook, join the group, uh, paracinema.net for our dear friends from NYC, Dylan and Christine. And as always, if you're in a giving mood and you feel the need to do so, you can donate to us on our homepage, ggtmc.com. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about what we uh, are covering. You want me to uh, give you my choice first? Sure, please do. All right, so I toiled and toiled and toiled, and I have some good stuff and everything else, and I'm constantly talking to Large William off the air, just to give you guys a, a little behind the scenes. And I have a roadmap that I continuously go off of. <laughs> I was looking at the roadmaps recently, and I was like, man, Will, Will is tearing through his roadmap, and me, not so much. So I'm going to go back to my roadmap. And I have decided we are going to do something we have talked about doing since I think like episode two or three. And oh, that wow. is uh, Remo Williams. We're going to do Remo next week. <laughs> Little Fred Ward. <laughs> yes, we're going to do Remo. We haven't done Remo, and we've been meaning to do Remo for a while. So uh, I think it's time for some Fred Ward. <laughs> I would heartily agree with you. So that's my choice for next week. 
my choice, as I mentioned, comes from Cinema de Bazaar. It's a film from 1973, Giuseppe Vadi's very rare, very underseen uh, Eurocrime. Well, we'll see if it's a classic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, La Padrina, which means the godmother, but the title, um, the English title was Lady Dynamite. So this is going to be an interesting look at a very macho, mustache-heavy genre through the eyes of uh, a female getting revenge, sort of like uh, The Bride Wore Black or something to that effect. I can't wait to watch this thing. I've never seen it, and I'm dying to watch it. So should be good. It's going to be a good episode next week to ring out the year, man. Yes, yes, getting to the very end of the year. So that will be our show for next week. So I think uh, I think it's everything. I don't think I had anything else to mention. So uh, I think with that, I'll say adios. Before you say adios for the second time, uh, do you want to wish our listeners a very Merry Christmas? Well, of course I do. Yes, my bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do want to wish everybody out there that supported us and uh, has listened to us and uh, become friends with us. And we consider all of you friends uh, a very Merry Christmas. And I hope that... Uh, you know, each and every one of you have uh, the best Christmas you possibly could have. Seriously, from uh, from the samurai. So I'll kick it back over to you if you want to wish them the same thing. Uh, yes, as always, you know we love you guys all. We truly do. You, you know, you make our week uh, so much better. Uh, you say we do it for you. You do it for us. Um, so please keep listening. Uh, hopefully, we can continue to help uh, make your day go quicker as you make our day more enjoyable with your feedback. Um, so a very merry Christmas, and if Santa. Uh, gave us his sleigh, we would bring leather cod pieces and baby oil in all of your stockings. So, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes. And now we can say our adios, which uh, Feliz Navidad. Adios. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206 206- 666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com You better watch yourself